For over 10 years, we've been bringing you killer metal music and frank discussions about heavy metal. Wait, who the hell is Frank? You are tuned into MSR Cast, brought to you by Mainstream Resistance. Here are your hosts, Kerry the Metal Geek and Sean the Metal Pigeon. Keep it metal. Welcome, my friends, to episode number 267 of MSR Cast, your heavy metal podcast. I am one of your hosts. I am Carrie the Metal Geek, along with Sean the Metal Pigeon. What's up, my good man? How are you? It's, it feels uh, like we haven't talked good. forever, right? We just talked the other day. I know, exactly. Forever. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. We talked all about uh, why we didn't have a lot of episodes out for a little bit. Uh, but if you want to hear about that, listen to the last episode of Metal Geeks. But we have a very special episode tonight. Not only do we have members of the band Hasserot, we have Cryptos back, Papa Josh, one of our, well, not one of, the very first co-host of this show right here. Welcome back to the show, my friend. Hey, hey, it's good to see you. Good to hear your voice. Good to, he- good to not see you, but hear you, man. Yeah, I'm the only one that no one can see. Lurking no, he has, this, he has a camera on, but he's like so <laughs> evil and dark, you just can't see Yeah. <laughs> Imperceptible darkness. <laughs> <laughs> and that voice you heard right there is uh can I can I tell him your screen name here? Totally. Mo Eggs Devil Boy. DOI <laughs> man. That's Maurice, a uh, good friend of the show. We've had you on many, many times to talk about metal. Welcome back yeah. to the show, my friend. Thank you. Always a blast chatting with you guys. And we have another prolific podcaster in the mix, and that's Ben Yaker. Uh Welcome back to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I know you've been, uh, we can get into your podcast. Let's do that real (laughs) quick before we move on to everything else. But uh, you just ended one show and you're working on something new. Tell me what's going on with you, man. So, yeah, we we had, I was the uh, co-host of The Greatest Thing You've Never Heard. Uh, We did a hundred and some odd episodes over two years. And uh, eventually I think kind of, kind of burned it, burned out a little bit. And uh, so we're. Wrapping that one, and uh, my co-host uh, John and myself are uh, working on, uh, slowly but surely working on, putting together a new show, which we'll hopefully have out uh, in the next few months or so. It's going to be called Five Perfect Songs, every episode. It's kind of like if you heard the old show, we would talk about one album in depth for like two hours, which was mm-hmm. probably a little much, but we would go through <laughs> all of the context of the album and then like all of the songs uh, and so it's like kind of a distilled version of that going through just five songs that might be, you know, five perfect songs we heard yesterday or five perfect songs from 1972 or five perfect songs that are over 10 minutes or whatever. Nice. And uh, hopefully we'll have some guests to bring in their five perfect songs. Mr. Gordon, looking at you. Oh, my dad's not here. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> uh, maybe he's with Cryptos. Maybe. Actually, he, he is here, but he's not available at the moment, if you know what I'm saying. Um, yeah, so very cool, man. I'm looking forward to that. You're, he's, in, he's, in a, he's dead. Sorry. Just a way to bring it down real quickly. Jesus Christ. Christ. Well, then, <laughs> moving right along, uh, let's talk about a show that uh, four out of the five of us were at, four out of five dentists agree, that Bortnagar was magical. Absolutely. It was pretty damn good. That was a that was a killer show. Uh, we just, we just discussed it a little bit on the Metal Geeks podcast, but I was just coming down from being super sick, and 
there was about a 50% chance I almost didn't make it. But I... I you walked it, back into the Petri dish, my friend. I did. Uh, I had to go, man. There was It was no doubt about... I could not miss that show. That was it was important for me to be there. It was important for my wife. Um, I hadn't seen them since, like, what they toured was Emperor in 99, 2000? Yeah, 99. 99, 21 yeah. years ago. <laughs> we were looking that up. It was Emperor, Bortnagar, uh, Picadum, uh, yeah. Divine Empire. Oh, wow. Yeah. And there's one other one I can't think of. We just, we looked it up. I forget already. That was at Cardi's. Speaking of Cardi's again. Oh, Cardi's. Wow. Uh, that was a great show. And I was like, man, I could not miss them. Uh, they did not disappoint. What did you, what did you guys think? It was, there was like maybe one or two songs I wish they had played, but overall mm. it was a good set. That, did Oceans I, Rise. So I was like, hell yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, good complaint. I wish, uh, there were fewer bands opening that they got to play a lot longer set. You know what I mean? Yeah. I would have been I, happy with three bands and that's it. The fact, the fact that there were more bands ended up being a saving grace for me based on the start time of that show. I was super yeah. concerned that I was going to miss Borknagar to the point that I think I told you I was doing 90 down the freeway, right. busted <laughs> immediately into sea lot, ran out of the car, was sprinting down to get to White Oak. And as soon as I came in and saw you completely calm and collected, reassuring me that Borknagar had not yet played, <laughs> like, oh, okay, I need, I need a drink. I need to get set up here. It's all going to be but uh welcome to the show man they they were great like what (laughs) (laughs) getting to getting to briefly chat with lars afterwards was oh man cool i mean you know homie going back to 99 but for me that band was a band that i found early on in my metal odyssey back when fye and the galleria still had a heavy metal section and it was one of the better ones in the city yeah i randomly stumbled upon empiricism and thought this looks cool. Let's check this out. And uh, yeah, I was totally blown away and was a fan pretty much instantly. Is that when you can actually listen to the music in the store or no? I bought that album. You bought it on this on a, on a whim. Looked at the cover art. I was like, this looks cool. Probably yeah. the, you know, it's probably going to be badass. Let's check it out. And I mean, that just goes to show how old school I am about music consumption because there's, I feel very few people that buy music that way anymore. just based on cover art. That record, was talking caused, that record caused tension in my marriage. Why? Why? Because t- my ex-wife was so into Vortex. Oh, and and I yeah I had actually been listening to Vintersorg like before he joined Borknegar. Yeah. So and she kind of never really liked his voice all that much, and then when he got the fucking spot in Borknegar, <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, and yeah, that didn't go over too well. <laughs> Vortex sounded phenomenal at the yeah, show. Yeah, yeah. Like he was like on one, just totally into the music, rocking out like a proper rock star. And totally I mean, Lars, like, man. Oh, totally. But I mean, especially Vortex, just commanding that Rickenbacker and his vocals on, you know, True North and a lot of the newer material just sound like they a guy just, age. They were just so calm and collective and just, just, okay, we're here to fucking be badass. And that's exactly what they did. They didn't need to doing anything fancy or special they just performed and it was amazing you know what yeah. was different about that time from the first time we saw them carry yeah was, was when we first saw them vortex had to do the harsh vocals as well mm-hmm. so there was a lot of more of you know him having to do that dynamic whereas this time around he was much more able to focus on 
you know, his singing capabilities. Yeah. So that was a definitely was, a different, different dynamic that I noticed. Yeah, for sure. You can definitely tell he was way more comfortable and more yeah. in his skin. I mean, there, it's weird. I was talking to a coworker. He's a, uh, one of the dudes that he uh, actually is in charge of the gym at my, in my campus. And I went in there for a workout yesterday. I was talking to him about the show and he's like, who is it? I was like, Oh, it's this great band from Norway called Bortnagar. He's like, I want to play it. He'd never heard him. And I think I turned him on to these guys. He's like, oh, oh. the look in his eyes. He's like, Holy shit. What is this? <laughs> and why have I never listened to this before? So I was in the gym working out and he had this, he had like this big speaker and he was jamming Bortnagar. And I turned him on to uh, orphan land and subterranean masquerade at the same time. Hmm. Like I'm going to slowly get him heavier, but you know what I mean? You got to start people slow. Yep. It's it's no secret to anyone here that my gateway to a lot of this type of music was via Opeth. And so obviously anything that presents itself in somewhat of a progressive motif that mixes elements of mm-hmm. lighter music contrasted against more abrasive music is something I've always found interesting. Early in my journey, you know, coming out of Opeth, the gateway was into Emperor very quickly and then Enslaved and other bands. So Borknagar was kind of right there at the same time being a band that was doing that kind of thing, but in a way that none of these other bands were really doing it. So it, to this day, they still have a sound that's all to their own and, you know, credit to them because it's instantly recognizable as like, Oh, this is a Bork Nagar song. And they have that connection to enslaved with, you know, Ivar being on those first early records. Yeah. yeah that was my, my, my co my coworker. He was like, yeah, I, I really like the music from like uh, Assassin's Creed Valhalla and like the Vikings TV show. I'm like, Oh, you would, you you dig this other shit? Check out War Druna and check out like the uh, Ivar did a um uh, a couple albums with Einar. Yeah, which is good shit. Yeah, I'm like, there you go. This is Viking it up, man. Do it. <laughs> <laughs> Put a Thor's hammer in your logo and call it a day. That's right. Mjolnir, by the way, that's what it's called. <laughs> oh, oh, my mistake. <laughs> Come on, you've, you've seen a fucking Marvel movie, you know. <laughs> there you go. Uh, so let's talk about the impetus of this band. Let, let, first of all, um, the band is Hasserot, and I've seen you guys live. You guys fucking killed it. Um, talk about the band, how it came together, and who's in the band. Yeah, so, I mean, this is a band that, honestly, he's not with us today on this chat, but Brandon Johnson, guitar player and Doomstress, Project Armageddon, and a host of other bands. Oh, yeah. Uh, he and I have been friends for a long time. Our, our other projects have played together and shared the stage over many a year. Ben's been there as well. Josh has been a part of that retinue as well. And uh, we pulled out a fancy word. <laughs> Brandon and I, for years, had just kind of been talking about the fact that, you know, it's interesting. We both share this passion for death metal, yet the bands that we play in have nothing to do with death metal wouldn't it be cool if one day we did this as a site? And that, that was always the discussion. This went on for years. And finally, right around, I would say, August, September 2019, those conversations got a little bit more serious. And we started kind of exchanging some music ideas, putting some demos together for what would become some of the earliest ideas for Hazarot. And at that point, it was just the two of us exchanging ideas. I started writing a lot of the music on seven string because I thought it'd be cool to have kind of that low hollow end tone in the low end. And Brandon was like, no, man, I I actually think it's going to have a lot more bite if we do it the way we kind of do in some of our other projects and just 
a six string format down tune the whole step, but let's keep it heavy and, and come up with some interesting ideas. So we kind of changed directions and, and started going that way. And then we started talking about who we wanted in the lineup and Brandon and I both being again, parts of all these different bands that have played with other bands wanted to kind of keep it in the family, so to speak. And so we started throwing names around. Who do we know that plays bass? Who do we know that plays bass? That's a friend. And Ben was one of the earliest names that came up. And I was like, yeah, actually, I'd be really interested to see what Ben would do in a death metal band like this, especially because the type of death metal that we're talking about, old school, you know, kind of 90s Swedish influenced death metal yep. incorporates a lot of doom elements. And I think Ben would vibe on that. Like, let's see what happens if we pull him into the mix. And when we mentioned it to him instantly, he was like, yeah, count me in. I'd love to do it. Started talking about drummers, right? And obviously, Josh, having drummed for Doomstress, Brandon instantly threw him into the mix and was like, dude, Josh will absolutely have the chops for this. Josh is a friend. Like, let's keep it in the family. Let's see how that goes. And as soon as we put it in front of Josh, he was like, hell yeah, this sounds awesome. Let's do that. <laughs> and then it was like, okay, who are we going to throw down on vocals? And the first name that Brandon came at me with was Justin. Literally the first name. There was no other name. And I was like, that's interesting. I know he has a background in death metal, yet I've only ever heard him in Saxon King and Saxon King. Yep. Completely yep. different style of vocals, traditional heavy metal, totally clean singing, very little abrasiveness. I'm like, this will be interesting. <laughs> the first note, or you can't even really call it a note, but guttural howl that emerged from his mouth in the first practice as we all laid down together for the first time, <laughs> we all just looked at each other with this look of like, oh shit, uh, that just happened. And this yeah. is, is going to be a thing. It's our X factor. Yeah. <laughs> you got it, kid. Man, yeah. He, he's not lying because, like, that was the, literally the same thing that went through my head when his name came up. I was like, I remembered obl obliquity, like, vaguely, like, you know, just like a blip from back then, you know, and I knew that he hung out with Wes a lot, you know, so I knew him and mm -hmm. Wes were tight, but I, I didn't know anything about, like, capability wise, what that was going to sound like or anything. And then that first. He, like he said, that first rehearsal, dude, like when he yeah, I, the first growl of forging the ossuary and it was just like, okay, I'm stupid. We're all stupid. He's in. <laughs> I've honestly, I honestly had never heard him do those style of vocals, you know, just hearing him from scroll keeper. And like you said, Saxon King, but that li that first live show that I saw you guys do, man, I think everybody was like, Oh fuck. This is really fucking good. He's killing it. He was so fucking good. He broke his hand on stage. Yeah. <laughs> he was so metal, he couldn't contain himself. Yeah. That's the other thing. Not just the sound of the voice, but his presence as yeah. a man is no, very no, no. strong in this band. And it's like, wow, you know, he really commands the shit. Like, you, I get a totally good, right. really good vibe on stage with, with everybody in the band. It's fucking awesome. He commanded that stage like a motherfucker. It, 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 it was amazing to see. Really, really, really fucking great choice on a vocalist. We're all mighty pleased with it. I mean, honestly, when the Masters came back after Swano did his thing, like it was already good. Well, we're going to get back to that. We're not just going to gloss that over. You just sort of being <laughs> Swano. Oh, when Swano brought, you know, we have to talk about that. Well, we'll talk about that. All I'm saying is when they came back and I heard the vocals again, like through his eyes, I was like, oh, okay, wow, wow, yeah. wow. 
So Ben, uh, when they first approached you for this project, what was the first thing you you were thinking of? You're like, well, I've never because it's not typical. Like, what, no, I'm I'm the doom saying? guy. I'm the do- I'm the doom guy, and I'm the death metal life. I'm the one guy who was not a Borknagar. <laughs> truth, <laughs> truth be told, I have never listened to Borknagar. I don't oh. honestly know what they sound like. Oh, we need to change that, sir. Yeah. I, I uh, there's a lot there. You guys will go off on like these death metal rabbit trails. And I'm like, Oh boy, I don't, uh, I know like, two of those bands. I don't <laughs> like seven. Is more of a progressive black metal modality. Yeah, you would, you'd, you'd, you'd actually really dig him. Especially the bass. That's good stuff. All right. All right. Fair enough. Very fair good. enough. But yeah, now I come from the, the doom metal background, low and low and slow. And I, but I've, I've, you know, liked death metal for a long time. And, and, uh, uh, came into it as Maurice did via Opeth. Um, but, uh, the stuff that I like, there's, it's got more of a mid tempo vibe, um, grave and, and some Vader and, and, uh, Mm -hmm. uh, stuff like that where you just kind of, you just kind of dig into the muck. And so that's the groove of it all. Yeah. What I wanted to bring is something that you're, you're, you're not going to have any problem head banging to. So it was, uh, it was like, yeah, we want to do this old school, sl- you know, more mid-paced and and just dirty and grimy. And I was like, okay, that that sounds like something I can get into. Um, and it's it's interesting, man. It's it's different for me, and it's it's it's. I want to make sure that I'm doing this style justice, and so I'm I'm trying to think, like I want to bring some of myself into what I'm playing, but I don't. Mm-hmm. I, I still want to have it be what makes sense for what this is. And so I, 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 I've, I've had to sort of kind of think about how I want to, you know, what that's going to be in, in the context of, of how I play. Doing a fine job. Indeed. Definitely. Then, you bring up an interesting point. I mean, for, for everybody on the line, I'm, I'm curious about this question. Everybody here, I regard pretty highly as a student of metal. Everybody's very well studied across genres, have listened to a lot of things, maybe have a little bit more expertise in certain areas, but everybody's everybody's listened to a whole lot of music, metal and not metal. Yeah. And so I'm curious. So Ben, you said you kind of got into death metal a little bit the same way that I did via Opeth. Yeah. I'm curious for you and for everyone, can you guys, specific to death metal, go back to a point in time and trace <laughs> either a band song album or some combination thereof where you're like oh, yeah. this the first song that really like unequivocally set the stage and it's like yeah this is the death metal thing i need to find out about this sean we have just been t- taking over as host of the show <laughs> <laughs> but that's a great that's fucking question um let's start with let's start with sean what, what's your what you say on that question I had I had heard Cannibal Corpse and Morbid Angel long before um, I heard like melodic death metal, but at the time I was still really stuck into the mainstream metal mode, and it wasn't until I heard Carcass, um, the Heartwork album, um, that uh, that made me appreciate like death metal vocal adjacent stuff, and it made me go back and listen to Morbid Angel and all that other stuff and appreciate and like get into it. Mm-hmm. So, um, so that, I think that's probably the earliest that I can remember. 
I'm a Cryptos and I are the same age. We're about maybe, well, I guess 10 years older than some of you guys ish. Um, and for me, it was like the very late eighties, early, early nineties stuff. And it was sweet nightmares. It was Wes Weaver and Bill Bates listening to that shit. And, uh, my cousin was a big fan. We, um, that's how I actually met them is my cousin was like, always called up to the station. He's like, Hey man, you got to play my band. And, uh, <laughs> I finally drove him up there one night and I became friends with the dudes. And, uh, you know, I think for me, it was like early napalm deaths and like cannibal corpse and, and, and fucking deaths. When I heard like scream bloody gore and shit like that, I was like, all right. And, but at the same time, I was, I was really in a thrash metal. I still am. Uh, maybe not as much as I was like back then, but like late eighties, early nineties thrash metal was really my jam back then. And I, and I could appreciate carcass and, and I liked morbid angel a lot and cannibal corpse, all that stuff. It was very, and then you mentioned grave. I really liked grave and, um, gore fest and things like that. I, I liked a lot of death metal bands that tried a little bit different. You know what I mean? What about uh? What about what about you, Josh? Cryptos, you're the same age as me. Well, back then, like me and Depravis, like knew each other back then, like in junior high, and he was, he had an older brother, so, you know, I was the oldest in my family, so any of that kind of shit was me discovering that stuff. Whereas he had an older brother that like was bringing home, you know, violence, eternal nightmare. And like to me, when I first heard that, that was like the final frontier of thrash. I was like, where do you, how do you get any heavier for thrash music? Like you have this insane vocalist who sounds like he just fucking ingested like, you know, 10 tons of meth <laughs> and is like screaming his head off, you know? And then there was the crossover record for me between thrash and death metal, which was Sabat's Dreamweaver. Mm. And that was a huge record for Danny Filth for Cradle. Because the, of the lyrics, you had this giant story being told with so many lyrics. I was like, how is this dude even like rattling off all this shit that he's like screaming about? You know, and Andy Sneap back then, that was way before, you know, you know, Andy Sneap being known as a producer. He was just yep. a guitar player in Sabat, you know, and he was, they were fucking awesome. But before nobody he got knew, fired from Judas Priest. Right. No, nobody back. knew who they were. You know, they were on noise records and it was just kind of like nobody knew. And then. Uh, Mike gave me uh, death, spiritual healing, uh, entombed left hand path, and entombed was one of those for me too. Yeah, for sure. Entombed was a very big deal for me. Like the the intro to that record, leading into the outro of that first song, the tone of the guitars back then, because it was a totally different tone than the rest of death metal. Like you had your Florida death metal with Deicide and Morbid Angel, and then you heard Entombed left hand path, and you were like. This is still death metal, but this does not sound like this other death metal. It was fuzzy. It had a tone yeah. to it. And back then, death metal had, there was nothing else to compare it to. You didn't have the YouTube where you could go and, like, you know, compare it to 50,000 other fucking bands. There, were, there was nothing that sounded like this. It scared the shit out of our parents. <laughs> you know, they didn't know what the hell the sound was coming from underneath the door. Like, but it definitely sounded like scary shit. It wasn't Motley Crue shot at the devil anymore. It was like, oh, you know, when they heard Deicide, <laughs> my parents stopped knocking on the bedroom door. <laughs> We're just going to leave him be. <laughs> my dad honestly told me like five years ago, he goes, you know, I always thought it was a phase. He goes, and here you are still playing this shit and like releasing your own shit. He's like, I guess it wasn't a phase. You proved me wrong. 
<laughs> but yeah, that was those bands like in that era, you know, all of that was Wes Weaver, mm-hmm. you know, Bill, Mike, you know, turning me on to this shit. And then it just it went from there to, you know, further into black metal and all that later on. But like death metal at that period and that point when thrash was no longer the most, you know, extreme form of music, like you had this whole new world and it wasn't very accessible to get to either. Like a lot of record stores didn't have it. You couldn't walk into a sound warehouse and find morbid angel. You had to get your parents to try to talk your parents into driving you to sound exchange. Dude, I was about to say that, you know, they they really would. You couldn't find anything. So you would have to beg your parents to take you to a camel. If you're you're a local Houstonian and you're listening to this, you know, sound exchange, they've been around Mm -hmm. for a long time. My dad used to take me to the one, that was on Westheimer. Mm-hmm. I guess I think it's like a, a food store now. But <laughs> um, man, like I, I forgot my very first Sepultura albums from them, and all this good shit. And I've known we've known those guys for a long time. And my dad was very supportive of of what I was into. I remember meeting Sepultura during their very one of their very first shows here. They did it in store somewhere, and it was like a picture of me it was like my head sort of shaved underneath and a, a polka dot <laughs> shirt. <laughs> trying to be on metal, you know. Yeah, but. total total shout out to Kurt and Kevin, man. Those guys have been at it for longer than any of us have. And That's they're right. total badasses. I will never forget the day after Insect Warfare somewhat recently played Sound Exchange yep. and utterly leveled the place. It was <laughs> chaos. People were throwing beer cans at Dauber's head. That's why they had to move, right? Yeah, people were shattering like memorabilia on the walls, standing up on CD racks. Like it was fucking chaos inside Sound Exchange. I went in the next day to go talk to Kurt, and he was just like, "It really wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be." <laughs> I was like, God damn, you're metal as hell, Kurt. That's awesome. I saw Impact Warfare once, and it was this club. Uh, it was a Continental Club on Maine, uh, oh, wow, upstairs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, yeah. Was, it was such a a fucking weird event, but oh, at the um, I do with the mink. That that was the upstairs venue at Continental Club, right? The yeah, mink. I think you're right. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Wow. yeah. First and only time I'd ever been there. Uh, I do want to. Uh, I'd be remiss if I don't if we don't say we mentioned Wes Weaver and Bill Bates, and they were very in- exactly. They were very instrumental in what all of us got into for being metalheads, but especially for me uh, as a podcaster and being a metal guy and doing the fanzine back in the day. They were very. Very supportive and uh, rest in in peace for both those guys. And that Houston would not be the same without them. Absolutely. All right. So enough of that bullshit. Let's move into a first track. We haven't played any music yet. Let's <laughs> get into the title track from the album Throne of Malice. And then once we get back from that, we'll talk about how the album came to be. Sound good? Let's do it. Rockin'. All right. Let's do it. Here's Throne of Malice. This is. Hasserot.
Welcome back to the show. That was friggin' Hasserot with Throne of Malice. That's the title track from the upcoming EP, Throne of Malice. So uh, we talked you're, about you're it earlier. Correct. You have to say freaking. We talked about it earlier, and it was uh, mentioned that you guys had uh, someone doing the mixing on this record. Oh, yeah. You dropped that name earlier. Let's that name back up. Not not the mixing to clarify the mastering. Uh, oh, the mixing was done here uh, by the guys at Lucky Run Studio, and they they were troopers throughout the whole thing. We can talk about the whole recording process, but to bring up this name, I, I just have to say, like personally, this is a name that coming up through my metal career, especially like we talked about Opeth, all this stuff. This guy's name has been on so many just quintessential records from Opeth, Asphyx, Dissection. Like, Dan Swano is just a ubiquitous presence yeah. in all things metal, whether it's death metal, progressive metal. I mean, the guy himself is just a multi-instrumentalist, tour de force. And, dude, I don't know what I was thinking when I was just like, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send him an email. <laughs> and I'm going to just see if he would like master the record and like, what would that be like? And lo and behold, I mean, he just responds back. He's like, okay, this is what it's going to be. These are my requirements. This is what I want. And he sends us this notepad document with the requirements for how he requires the drums to be mic'd. And as I read this to the band, I already knew I was like, dude, if we do everything wrong, it's still going to sound awesome like <laughs> this guy knows exactly what he's doing and i was just like filled with glee like childlike glee i can't <laughs> i'm still just pinching myself i'm like i am on a record that was mastered by dan fucking swano it's just ridiculous to me if i've interviewed him before and he he's a he's a fucking legend and he's so uh humble about it you know what i mean he's like oh i'm just i'm like dude, no no dude you don't know who you are <laughs> right and he's he's so i mean we only really ever corresponded via email but he was so just kind of whimsical and approachable via email if we had suggestions thoughts comments he would incorporate them immediately he had obviously thoughts comments and suggestions of his own and i'm like well you're dan fucking swano so that's gonna happen <laughs> um but I just Literally, like I said, when we when we got the rough mixes back from the studio and heard what we did, I was encouraged. When I heard what Dan did after putting everything together, and actually, no, he he did. The fuck am I talking about? He did mix the record as well. I thought <laughs> so. I wasn't gonna yeah, like was contradict gonna you, but I was like, that's what I have been telling everybody. <laughs> yeah. it, that's actually thousand percent accurate because we, we did the rough mixes and that's what I was thinking about in my head. And those were like those were fine for listening to, but no no no. We we gave him carte blanche to mix and master the record. And uh yeah, when they came back, <laughs> dude. It's, it's been a whirlwind, man. Just thinking no about no more makers mark for you. Yeah, <laughs> Actually, I've moved down to Lafroig now. Uh, Lafroig quarter cask single <laughs> ball. Yeah. Passing that shit over here, man. No, no, no. He, Jesus Christ. 
I was he like, did. damn, he's doing breaking news tonight on the fucking yeah. show. Yeah. He mixed mixed and and mixed the album. No, he did. He fucking mixed it. Uh, he mixed it and mastered it. And yeah. I, I That's amazing because I, I, I fucking love that dude. Uh, like you said, he is a living legend. Uh, I love his vocals. I love his, his, his songwriting. I love his production. Everything he does is amazing. Pandemonium. Pandemonium. Holy shit. Star, star one, my friend. Dude, if, we, if we want to go down the man's resume, we could spend about <laughs> like two hours just discussing Witherscape, Catatonia, oh, Bloodbath, Opeth, Asphyx, Dissection, Pan Nightingale, Nightingale, Moon Tower, Marduk. Like, it's like, dude, where, where, where do we stop on this shit? Like, he's. I, he's I, I, I love how you said Witherscape first. Dude, I love the Witherscape album. That's, that's the album I interviewed him with when the first album came out. It was phenomenal. Panthimonium, though, like yeah, I discovered that band the same at the same time that I discovered black metal, which was basically like I think in '94, and they were one of those bands that was like mystique because they didn't use any, you didn't know it was Dan Swano in the fucking mm-hmm. band. Cause he didn't use his name as Dan Swano. It was some kind of weird. Ass, I can't even remember what the fuck his weird ass name was on that project, but they all had these goofy fucking names and they, the whole concept revolved around this fake entity God called Ragunishina or something like that. You know, it was like trippy shit. And like, and it was like this crazy death metal mixed with jazz and like not just normal jazz. It was like John Zorn fucking screaming saxophone jazz over blast beats, you know. And you're just like, what the fuck is this? He was shit? he was day dis disraya, something like that. But it basically was all of the Edge of Sanity members. Mm-hmm. There, just using there it is. names. That that's the one band that we didn't mention. Edge yeah. of fucking sanity. I was like, waiting yeah. for someone to say that. <laughs> Crimson, Crimson Two, fucking yeah. just Purgatory after Purgatory. Yeah, for sure. I mean, when I think of Swano, that's the very first band I think of. Dude, to literally be in an artistic collaboration with someone whose resume is that storied in history and who's just a total fucking badass in his own right. Fuck me! Like I, I was like anything this guy says, basically we will do. Like it's not. <laughs> whatever he thinks is best. <laughs> Dan, if you want to cancel me, like I'm done. It's fine. Like whatever. But yeah. you, I'm looking at his uh, wiki page, which uh, if you don't know, wiki is able to be edited by everybody. Yep. Um, there's a whole section called musical contributions, and I don't see your band name yet, so I would add that in. Yeah, gonna have to do that. We should, yeah, for sure. sure? No, I feel I feel partly uh, not responsible, but part of the band because part of uh, Cryptos's drum set was actually purchased by me many fucking years ago. Oh yeah, it, the Gibraltar set that you use your rack the rack. System. the rack system. Yep. When I was really getting into drums for a while, I bought that at a guitar center. Would you sell it and to me for like 150 bucks or something like that? I don't probably. I think it was 150 bucks. Because I mean, at the point, I'm like, you know, I'm not using it. I I'd rather go to you because I knew you were gonna. It has like, seen it has it. seen a lot of stages, my friend. I know. I'm happy to be part of that. Those beams have touched some pretty dirty floor. <laughs> <laughs> that I can imagine, <laughs> including <laughs> mine originally. 
for all the listeners, and if Dan Swano is listening, I just I just want to make it abundantly clear. I'd like to recant my earlier statement and uh, make sure that I'm not sued for slander or or anything of that sort because Dan did in fact mix and master this. <laughs> Dan Tuano mixed and mastered the mixed album. And, mixed and mastered. It's an EP, so you're did still fucking up. You did the mix. And it's, and it's it's what happens when the Hasserot boys start an, drinking. I didn't say it was an LP. <laughs> how, did, how did I fuck this up by saying it was a record? <laughs> that That's just there's, what there's you no call. There's no vinyl at this point. We'll, we'll just oh, call him mix, ma- mix Master Dan. You know, that, that's like your uh, opinion, man. You know? <laughs> uh, there, there's a lot of interested parties. There's a lot of ins like and that. outs. There's a lot of facets to this, okay? Forget about the fucking toe. <laughs> <laughs> I can get you a toe by 3 o'clock tomorrow with nail polish. Uh, you don't want to know. There are ways. All right, we're just going to start doing movie quotes the rest of the episode. I mean, <laughs> actually, what we're going to do now, let's, uh, we talked about some of our influences earlier. Let's get into a set of actual influences. Oh, wow. um, uh, first up is going to be Morbid Angel, picked out by Cryptos. This is Dawn of the Angry. Why did you uh, pick this particular oh, yeah. track? Because <laughs> going into the EP and like trying to decide, like, approach that I was going to take to the songs. I mean, for mo- for the most part, a lot of the stuff sticks to what Mo originally sent, you know, just from a drum machine. But sometimes that can get kind of sterile. So you just kind of start fucking with it. And for me, I really want, he also writes a lot of riffs that are not necessarily straight death metal. They have, it's that tie in we talked about earlier with thrash. Yeah. So for me, my drum approach was like this cross between Morbid Angel and Pestilence because Pestilence had that, those early records had that thrash beat a lot still. It wasn't all, you know, the blast beat didn't come into play until, you know, Morbid Angel really, but Pestilence really didn't do a lot of those blast beats like that. They had more kind of like a down, you know, D beat kind of thrash thing going on. And a lot of these songs, the tempo, when when they are fast, they don't call for a blast beat. They call more for that. So, but with Incantations at Dusk, <laughs> there's this rolling, you know, bass drum sound that's yeah. just this rolling, it just rolls like a, like a roar of thunder. It's not triggered. It just has this underneath underlying pin of just heavy brutalness under the riff that like just kind of lifts it up. And Morbid Angel on the Domination record did that a lot, like. Especially on the Covenant record and the Domination record, but more so on the Domination record, I think, because of the production and the different choice of production that they chose. You know, I mean, on Covenant, they used fucking Flas- Fleming Rasmussen or whatever that fucked up Justice, you know, so. <laughs> well, I, I personally love that you picked this track and this album to be your influence because it was one of mine. And I sent Carrie a list of probably 20 bands that I wanted to play on this. <laughs> yeah, on this you did. Podcast today and Carrie's like, dude, we can't play 20 bands. What the fuck wrong with you? <laughs> but th- this, this in particular, to answer the question that I asked all of you earlier. So yeah, it started with Opeth. It started with the Amen corner. And after that, I started reading a lot of interviews that Michael was putting out just about various things he'd start to describe certain riffs via bands that influenced those riffs. And at that time, a lot of what they were doing was still death metal oriented. So he'd say like, this is a morbid angel riff. And that was like a band that I kept hearing thrown around all the time. 
the first Morbid Angel record that I ever listened to was actually Domination. And fuck you guys make me feel old. Right. <laughs> I, I love the I love that you say that. And like many of your listeners may be looking at that record and being like, fuck, that's really, really old. But listening to that record just completely changed my outlook on what extreme metal could be. And what I love to your point, Josh, is that a lot of people that have heard incantations not only equate some of the things going on in that track inadvertently to morbid, but specifically to the album Domination. And it's like I think back to a lot of my early influences and I, I love the fact that Eric Rutan is the other guitar player on the domination record because yeah. I love Eight eternal. I love his guitar style and I love what he and Trey did together on domination specifically. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of what I heard there early on when I first started trying to toy with the idea of playing extreme metal on guitar that I adopted and has just become part of the fiber, the fabric of how I play death metal. And so it's like, you know, we'll, we'll talk about my influences later, but I have certain ideas about what I wanted Hazard to sound like. And yet it's inescapable that certain things I write will for sure have traces of Morbid Angel in them, because how could they not? Well put. Agreed. Agreed, man. Um, very cool. So let's get into Dawn of the Angry. This is Morbid Angel from Domination. We'll be right back.
right, my friends, we are back to the show. And that was the title track from Grave. That is from what the 94 album Grave? Was it 94 or 96? I think it was 94. I I think it might have been. You're right. Yeah, I think it might be 94. Then just check the jewel case to make sure that was accurate. Right in front of that make it a record, Ben? If you check the jewel case, I just want clarification for our listeners. I'm sure it's on vinyl somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) All right, guys, calm down. Uh, that was a pick from from Benjamin here. So, Grave, it's a band I have not really heard in a long time. Why did you pick this as? like your influence for your bass sound. So, so after I sort of warmed into death metal via, via Opeth's Blackwater Park record, um, which kind of let me get used to and acclimate to some of the, the harsher elements, um, there were a couple death metal bands that I learned, read about uh, from the old Hellride music forums uh, in the, the early 2000s. Uh, one was Vehemence, um, and uh, got into them with their album God Was Created. God. And um, yeah, I used and, to know those guys back in the day. Yeah, they were great. They were great. And um, the other was Grave. And I remember Chris Barnes from from Hellride Music talking about. Uh, and I think I bought from his web store the uh, And Here I Die Satisfied EP. Mm-hmm. And I really really dug it. And so based on that, I went and and. Uh, got the the sort of two in one CD collection of Soulless and Hating Life and uh listened to that on a pretty regular basis uh after that. And um I, I loved in particular the slower tempo on the soulless material and that just sort of mid tempo angry stomp and in particular the tones on it and the bass tone on that record. Um was a big part of what I was trying to go for with my bass tone in Hasserot. And ultimately where I got was something not quite as dirty. There's a little more um, uh, articulation in it, but it's it's something where it's got that, there's still articulation even though it is super distorted and just angry and grimy as all fuck. And uh, you really can kind of just just stick in the mud with it, and and that's what I love about it. And so that's that's what I was trying to uh, the sound I was trying to get here on our EP. So, so Ben, uh, how long have you been playing bass? What first got you into that instrument? So I I've been playing bass now for uh, it'll be twenty five years this fall. Um, which shit I didn't even realize that. Um, I started in 97. I was, I was 15. Um, I had wanted to play for, for a while or start learning to play the, the two records, uh, that most made me want to play bass were, were Rage Against the Machine self-title record and Tools Anima. Um, we won't fault you for that. If you've ever done karaoke with Ben, you'll understand (laughs) against the machine influence. (laughs) 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 Oh, 
There's a time just, and a place. Not, not to go off on a huge tangent, but it involves kicking chairs out of the way, arguing with staff. <laughs> no, I do karaoke here. I swear. Uh, I wrap the mic cable around my neck, and this is what I do as I scream, pocket full of shell. No, it's it's fine. What are you doing? Anyway, uh, continue. And you weren't invited back. Is that correct? <laughs> well, he's been invited back many a time. They just. It's the not B so much team, invited the B team as was on call me. that day when they were casting aspersions on Ben's rage routine. <laughs> um, but but uh, uh, yeah, uh, those were those were the two records that made me want to sort of start getting into it, and so I just started learning. and And uh, I was I was in boarding school at the time, and so I wound up. It was really convenient in terms of learning because basically anytime I had fifteen minutes, like a class got out early or I had a free period, I just go back mm. to my room and and play and practice and i practiced the first couple of years probably two hours a day did, did you just play along two albums how did you do it it was different stuff so i would i would just mess around sometimes sometimes i would i would get like guitar world and and other guitar magazines and they'd have you know tablature for sort of four or five songs one of one or two of which would always be one of these sort of alt rock flavor of the month sort of thing and i would usually have the cd for that um back in those days and so i i would learn and every song i'd learn i'd have to sort of teach myself a couple of new tricks and uh learn a lot of stuff that way and um then started you know branching out and and i you know things sort of changed for me stylistically as i you know Got into my later teenage years and into my early twenties, I, I started to sort of get away from you know the, the the mainstream rock radio stuff, which as you know a good suburban kid was really all I knew. Um, when I discovered Caius and started to grow out from there into like the stoner rock stuff, and then into the doom stuff, and then from there out into everything else, um, and that was kind of my my gateway out into it. And still, my my favorite bass player is Scott Reeder from Caius. Mm. Caius, yeah, a very underrated band, really. A lot of people don't, none, yeah. none of people talk about them. No, and they should. Then didn't Queens of the Stone Age like form out of that band? Yeah, after Caius broke up in the mid '90s, uh, Josh Homme, uh, the guitar player, and Caius mm-hmm. formed Queens of the Stone Age. Um, That's and right. Had, at, like at one point, like the lineup was entirely ex-Caius guys. You know, Nick Oliveri and uh, Alfredo Hernandez, and then uh, yeah, Nick Oliveri. Yeah. They they uh, left off and whatever, but uh, and he kept going with it. But yeah, what about what about you, Cryptos? What was uh, that that main influence? You know what? I want to play drums. What what was that for you? Oh, that's going back a long way. I feel you, my friend. <laughs> and it has nothing to do with death metal at all. That's fine. Mine doesn't either. Um, Mick Fleetwood. Oh shit was watching yep. an HBO special with my parents as a kid. And I mean, to put in context, my favorite musician of all time is going to be Jeff Lynn from Electric Light Orchestra. I mean, he's the man that was granted the rights to... I hate the Beatles. I, I'm not a big Beatles fan, but he was Holy the man. Holy shit. Man. We just know, lost very Chris. controversial statement. I don't care. <laughs> he was granted the right to you know have access to every fucking master and do their entire catalog remaster it because he's a badass he's fucking jeff lynn he's he's better than the fucking beatles <laughs> and that's my opinion on that but with him being as badass as he is i didn't have the patience for guitar 
I didn't have the patience to like sit down and like, you know, learn all that. And I was like, you know, I just, I just did not have that in me. Like, but I had this like sense of rhythm, like constantly beating on shit and tapping on shit and driving my parents crazy with that. And then I saw this HBO special with Fleetwood Mac live, you know, and Stevie Nicks and all of her badassness and, Next thing I know, I'm watching Mick Fleetwood do a drum solo, and he does part of the drum solo like on his chest with his bare hands. Hmm. Like, just he's like, he's going around the whole kit from front to back, doing all this shit. And then, you know, he starts just like drumming on his damn chest. And I was like, what the fuck is going on? You know, this is like, this is crazy. And I really, I just, I got off on that energy. Can we see, can we expect that at a future show? No, probably not. You know, but I mean, yeah. I mean you, you, you get that. enough. You get enough <laughs> from the speed at which we play things. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about it at practice. Like never say never. You know? Yeah, this is they do they do they do talk me into foolish things. <laughs> we'll have to mic your chest up, man. <laughs> like you're in with informant. But I mean, yeah. from from that, like my blood father did not like you know me wanting to get into music you know just wasn't that kind of dude but my stepdad was very much a drummer and had a drum kit and i i don't know if he was trying to like fucking get at my dad (laughs) or what you know but like here you can have a drum set (laughs) you know and then i discovered lars and people can talk shit about lars ulrich all day long Mm -hmm. and we will for most of us back then (laughs) When you heard Ride the Lightning, when you heard Master of Puppets. I am not heard, disagreeing with you at all. When you heard Justice, you wanted to be that drummer. Like He was my, I guess, one of my very first influences of, oh, I could do that, you know. Not just saying there's anything wrong with the early shit that he did, but I'm like, oh, that's something, I could do that. That'd, that'd be fun. He just, he made it, he, he made it seem accessible. You know, like can you, can you I used to play tennis and now I just decided to throw my whole tennis career away and I'm going to play fucking drums, you know? And like I said, the first time I heard fight fire with fire, when that intro started, I thought I was listening to a fucking docking song. Cause it had the cool little acoustic, clean little bleep, 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 bleep. I was like, Oh, it's docking. It even had like one of the guy had the electro logo on the tape and all that shit. And I was like, and then all of a sudden that fucking riff came in, dude. And then the drums came in. And back then, I mean, dude, there really wasn't a whole lot to compare that to. Like, if you were just a mainstream kid that really didn't get exposed to a whole lot yeah. of extreme shit. Yeah. But, but yeah, when I heard when I heard Lightning fucking Lars, it went from Mick Fleetwood to fucking Lars. Like, I'm going to fucking do that. The very the first and only gig I ever played was at Zelda's in, in Fitzgerald's in, like, 1993. Oh yeah. So yeah, I was doing it there. Wow. Yeah, no first. That was my first gig too was at Zelda's. Yeah, a lot of people's first gig was at all Zelda's. Fucking, uh, with all the those fucking ties, ties hanging down. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> 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 fucking like 200, 300, 400 fucking ties on the ceiling. Literally, what the hell is going on? It was it was a very it was a weird moment in my life. All right. Uh, but you know, I'm glad that you kept on with it and I just sort of did it for fun, you know? Yeah. What about, uh, what about you, uh, Maurice? What was your, your very first, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to do this. I'm going to pick up a guitar and play this shit. I'm going to answer that question, but I want to say one thing first, Ben's pick on grave 
before we all dialed back into this, took us back to a moment where we were talking about the show at Scout Bar. Some of us were at. I looked it up. It was in 2012. It was what? 10 years ago. <laughs> oh, shit. It was, wow. it was literally shocking to me that Grave, Dark Funeral, and Morbid Angel played Scout Bar in 2012, 10 years ago. I thought that was like at best five years ago. Yeah, yeah me yeah. too. I. Yeah. What the hell? Uh, I thought it was 20 years ago, so... Okay, well, here we are. You're getting old. To answer that question, <laughs> uh, actually, I had an interesting conversation with a drummer, Josh, that I think we both regard in, in high esteem. Uh, One Mr. Jon Axel von Blomberg. Oh, yes. A.K.A. Mr. Hellhammer. Ah, uh, yes. After the Mayhem gig that they played at White Oak, oh, yeah. we, we were talking about early influences, and I told him, I was like, dude, listen, I respect the shit out of you as a musician. What was like one of the first things that got you started? We both started talking about this. Elvis fucking Presley. And that that was a huge thing for me as a kid, hearing Elvis through my parents and just like he was described as the king of rock and roll, this, that, and the other. But the guitar was like a huge conduit for how he was playing music. And also Eric Clapton, I heard at an early age, like I've got very early memories of listening to Eric Clapton and guitar was just important. Was that your parents that did that? Well, they started me off on classical, to be honest. Like, I mean, the first concert I can remember going to is the Magic Flute by Mozart. Like I went to the opera. That was the first thing I ever saw. So like bombastic classical music with really ridiculous orchestration was something mm-hmm. that was ingrained in me at an early age musically. And still to this day, like it influences how I think about things and why I'm so into classical and jazz outside of metal and why note choice and arrangement sometimes is what's most important to me over what some of my peers might describe as like a quote unquote vibe. Like I just feel, I feel the vibe and I feel like this is what it needs to be. That's like, I I'm like, that's cool. And I'm kind of trying to get to maybe the same thing that you're describing, but I also need to know what's going on and the note choice and like why I'm hearing a certain theme in my head. <laughs> like you're the guitar nerd. Yeah. I'm, I'm a nerd. Like I really am. And it's because of, how it all started, you know? So like classical was important at an early age. Elvis as like a rock impression at an early age was important. Fast forward, get into elementary school and it was alt rock was big at the time for me. So like date yourselves, but smashing pumpkins, <laughs> Alice in Chains, red hot chili peppers. I don't know how old you guys were when that was going on. That was high that school. Was like, oh yeah. That was, yeah. that, was early, that was early shit for me. The most metal thing I heard at an early age, I was nine. It was the Mortal Kombat soundtrack in, I think, 95. <laughs> I heard Twist the Knife Slowly by Napalm Death off of Fear, <sighs> Emptiness, Despair, yep. and it scared the ever-loving shit out of me. I was it's like, this is door. the most awful thing I've ever heard in my life. And Goro, Goro is murdering people left and right as they <laughs> fall on pebbles of death. To this song, oh my god, how frightening! And I would, I would listen to that soundtrack, and I would try to play like thirty more seconds of that song just to see how much of it I could listen to. Fear Factory was on that soundtrack as yep. well. 
And I was like, okay, zero signal. Like, this is interesting. The pick attack that Dino had at that time, I respected the shit out of it. That was like some of my earliest exposure to quote unquote extreme metal in some sense, relative to anything I'd ever heard at that point. Get into middle sure. school, start listening to some other stuff, start playing guitar, start trying to like, you know, play some things that the ladies might be interested in. And then one day I'm 12 years old. I think I, we already talked about it, but buddy of mine puts the Amen corner on, on my headset and I'm listening to my arms, your hearse by Opeth. And suddenly it was like the best, everything I have heard up until this moment was a lie. And now this is everything. And I have to discover what led to this, what will come from this. And that took me two different ways. It took me down the path of, Morbid Angel, Vader, Suffocation, Incantation, name every Asian immolation <laughs> band that you, you could possibly throw at me. And it also led me down the path of like Camel, The Doors, Golden Earring, Uriah, Deep, Deep Purple, every 60s and 70s Hammond B3 infused band you could possibly wrap your mind around. Yeah. And suddenly my brain went in two different ways. I'm like, what it means to be extreme and what it means to be a musician and what it means to like think about note choice, <laughs> vibe, violence, feeling it could go any way you want it to go. Like the world musically is completely open. And suddenly it was just like, how do I understand this vocabulary? I've been trying to answer that question for the last two-thirds of my life. We did a whole episode of MSR Cast back in the day. I don't remember the episode number, but all we did was feature bands that, <laughs> that played with Hammond organs, and, and, we, and we ran, it really ran the gamut of, of what bands could do it. It was great. Oh, oh man, that was, that was a great episode. Yeah, talking about like a lot of the newer bands that are incorporating a lot of that sound, and then we went down like person, blues pills, yep. blood oh, ceremony, yeah. Uh, a, a lot of these big elf, a lot of these different bands that are doing things now, incorporating those types of sounds. I mean, it was, uh, it was I, know that I think we're talking about uh, 166 of, of MSR cast with vintage metal revival. Yes. Yes. And I mean, we also did another episode where we just talked about bands that had uh, a lot of keyboards and a lot of Hammond shit. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, Dude, the fact that Porcupine Tree is about to put a new record out in June yep. and they're about to play in September is an absolute thrill to me, man. What you talking about, Willis? Porcupine Tree is playing Dallas in September. I am going. I'm taking my wife. And the, the thing that I love the most about my wife on this number, she goes, if they don't play Buying New Soul, I think I'm going to lose my mind. <laughs> and the fact that she could reference Buying New Soul by porcupine tree means I've done something right. There you go. <laughs> now, what about uh, this band called Bloodbath that you have picked out? Oh, man. What about them? Everything's about them. So earlier we're talking about Swano, right? And I mean, when you go back to the EP that they first put out going into Resurrection through Carnage, you had Mike Akerfeld from Opeth. Swano, you had Jonas Rensk from Catatonia. 
it was a veritable super group. Oh, yeah. Everybody involved was involved in all of these other projects that we all heard already loved. And it was like, wait, Sweden's doing something really interesting. And it's like old school ripping death metal. And they're doing it because they just don't give a fuck. And it has a fucking groove. A hundred percent. I remember when I first heard about Bloodbath, I was reading an issue of Brave Words and Bloody Knuckles Opeth was on the cover and on the sampler CD that they always included with every magazine that you could go buy, there's a track by Bloodbath and it was like fire off of Resurrection through Carnage. And I listened to that and I was like, this is really fuzz heavy. It's a different kind of, I hadn't listened to like at that point, I don't think I'd really even listened to Entombed that much, which oh let me know like how out of it I was. <laughs> but like I started listening to it and I was like, what is this? And I started doing all this research and like figuring it all out. And I was like, Oh my God, I thought this was the source. And yet there's like 10 things removed from this that influenced this moment that I'm hearing right now. Yeah. But for me, that was then, and then Bloodbath evolved. I mean, going to the Fathomless Mastery, going to what they've done on the last couple of records, it's it's a completely different animal. They've taken all of those influences, absorbed them, mixed them with what they do on their own and who's still involved in the band, and especially Anders, a.k.a. Blackheim. The way he writes riffs i mean you can really hear this in diabolical masquerade you can really hear yep. this catatonia he has these very i don't know how to put it just almost like oblong melodies that he throws into situations across riffs that just sound evil and haunting and you hear it and you're like that's a blackheim like that, that that's a black hunt. He's he's doing something that doesn't conform to Western music per se, but it's it's like completely melodic and discordant at the same time. When I started thinking about what I wanted to possibly do with Hazarod from my side of things, I wanted a little bit of groove, a little bit of that discordant melody. I wanted the harmony and vibrato of carcass and death i wanted the groove and brutality of say bolt thrower and some of what bloodbath throws into the mix especially on the drum like they have these great moments where you've just got these i don't want to call it a breakdown but it's like the drums are doing the right thing the guitars are doing the right thing and you can't just help but headbang and pure venom just getting spewed out on vocals and i was like if we can if we can figure these things out and pair groove brutality melody and just scathing lyrical content in one place i think we'll be all right i think you guys have accomplished that blood bass uh, in my top tier top 10 song black or death metal songs of all time they probably have three of them right there and two of them really one album yeah um ross um, and then Eden and Outnumbering the Day. Outnumbering the Day is an utterly beautiful track. Yeah. It's it, no comparison. And they've had Bloodbaths has had so many fucking killer vocalists, Peter Tactor and Michael Ackerfeld, and then now old Nick, Nicole. My favorite thing about Bloodbath is that they have managed to get Nick to do extreme vocals. Yes. And it's gone back to Paradise yes. Lost, too. 
Yeah. Yes. Reinfluenced that portion of that band too. Oh my God. Paradise Lost has gotten so much better on the last <laughs> few albums. I was like, if I want to listen to Depeche Mode, I'm going to listen to Depeche Mode. I don't need to listen to Paradise Lost doing Depeche Mode. <laughs> I, we're not, we're not going to, we're not going to go on a tangent here, but I will say, I, I agree, and there was a couple of good songs in that era. There that was really still catchy, yeah. But overall, yeah, I, I do agree on that. There's a couple of songs on that one second record that are straight up Duran Duran, and I'm like, you know mm-hmm. what? I like that shit. But you one know. second for you know, you know who else likes Duran Duran? Hellhammer. Yep. I was gonna say Duran. I was gonna say Duran Duran, but <laughs> <laughs> they should like what they're doing. They're, they're playing great. Out music. D squared. All right, let's get into uh, Bloodbath. Why did you pick this track from uh, Grand Morbid Funeral? It really has a lot of, again, what I want to define the sound of Hazara. Like, no two songs are necessarily going to sound quite alike, but from what I personally try to bring to the songwriting aspect of what we do, there's going to be elements of groove things that sound brutal, things that make you want to bang your head, melody, really melodic lead playing, which all of these elements are involved in what Bloodbath's doing in this song in particular, which I really loved off of Grand Morbid Funeral. You talk about old Nick coming, having a comeback. He did it in spades on this record. It's utterly disgusting. And this track, I was like, I wish I wrote this. <laughs> like literally, I was like, "This is this is a beautifully evil, disgusting piece of filth that I wish I wrote." I am personally shocked that he did not pick a song that featured Mikkel. Right, right. But this it's is true. awesome. Like because I agree, the record is that record is a phenomenal record. The both of the records they've done with him have been really well done. <laughs> the obvious choice, with mastery is is amazing. Yeah the the obvious choice if I wanted to pick a Michael track probably would have been Mock the Cross. Thank for you. several reasons, yeah. because lyrically, please, you know I love some good blasphemy, but also that's like where the slime live by Michael and Bloodbath. Sure, and yet, no, I I think really Bloodbath shows who they are on this track on Anne. Like it's a nasty slab of death, and Nick's vocals are utterly disgusting. All right. On that note, on that disgusting note, let's check it out. Uh, Bloodbath, this is from Grand Morbid Funeral. This is Anne. It's such a weird juxtaposition. This is Anne. All right, we'll be right back. I was essentially a normal person. I had good friends. I, I, uh, I led a normal life, except for this one small but very potent and very destructive segment of it that I kept very secret and very close to myself and didn't let, let anybody know about it. Oh, 
uh, Kryptos on drums. That's right. He's just like, yeah, that, that was, yeah, that's me. It, it's just been, dude, 2019 is the last time we played a show together. So it's just been a while. Really? Yeah. I mean, literally all of these shows that I'm getting ready to do with these guys is the, are the first shows I've done since 2019. Like this last one was the first one. And then, you know, when we play San Antonio, It'll be the first time I've been in San Antonio since 2019. When we mm. go to the Valley, it's going to be the first time I've been in the Valley since 2019. <laughs> Actually, so, for the Valley, it might be 2018. So uh, let's go back to Spectral Manifest. That's your uh, the band that you've done with your, your partner in crime for a long time. What's the uh, status of the band? What's going on? Well, he and I have a very interesting, peculiar relationship, and it's not unlike, you know, say a dark throne where we just don't, we'll, we'll go with like a year without talking to each other. Mm-hmm. And it's honestly been, it's been since West passed mm. since I've talked to him and we both knew West really well. He took it really bad. Um, right after our last show in 2019 and at sound exchange, we had, he had a wreck which he's actually pretty lucky to have survived. Oh, wow. So there was a lot from that. And then literally right after the wreck, COVID hit. And then our bass player, who's in like 12 different fucking other bands, decided, you know, he just didn't want to do it. He didn't want to wait anymore, so he took off. So Spectral effectively is back down to a two-piece the way it started out as of right now. Um, But like I said, he and I haven't really discussed the future of the next record, which is pretty much written. We we were pretty much in the process of having it done. We just needed to go in and record it and like, you know, hash out some, you know, final shit. But in the meantime, all of this stuff happened yep. and this has now become, you know, you know, Mo and, and Brandon and Justin are all in other shit, you know, but for me and Ben, this is like pretty much primary. This is the primary thing. And, as far as the future of spectral, I have to be honest with you, I'm in the dark as much as the rest of you are, because it's really going to be up to Depravis. Like if anything goes forward, like for me, this band is actually not just like a rebirth of like me playing music, but it's all also a rebirth of me having fun playing music because in spectral, a lot of, what I had to do was like large shit, you know, the business side of shit. I did everything, the micromanaging of the label, the micromanaging of, you know, getting assigned to a fucking label, like, you know, anything, anything that was like, aside from writing riffs, (laughs) I did all that shit. So after a while you get kind of burned out on all that. And for me, part of what makes this band so much fucking fun is that there's four other fucking guys in the band that have been doing this, for a long time as well and i can kind of just sit back and have more fun and enjoy playing fucking death metal again which is you know i didn't want to burn out you know and now it's kind of you know we've got songs we've got you know the reaction that we've gotten so far to this is far outweighed anything i've been in so for me it's like there there's something here because it's not it's not just the the songs it's like the chemistry of the people in the fucking band you know and it, it's evident when we're on stage it's evident when we're hanging out in a room together you know it's it's just 
it's a it's a very healthy thing and it's it's, it's you know going forward this is this is what I'm focused on. If Spectral comes back out of the darkness at some point, you know, cool, you know, but that's going to be completely on, you know, Homeboy. Yep. And that's I got you, man. I got that's you. That's where we're at. I remember, I remember uh, Depravers came over to my house one time because he <laughs> to help me with my pool situation. And we just fucking wound up playing like God of War for hours. <laughs> yeah. So that's right. Um, yeah, I, I, I dig the Spectral Manifest. I saw you guys many times live. Some of those shows at the old Sound Exchange, man. Oh, they were intense. Fun shit. You know, it was, uh, a, lot, it was a lot of good times, dinner. you know? I mean, we fucking opened for Voivod, you know? Right. One of my fucking favorite. All, we vote, We opened for fucking Venom Inc. You know, it's the true. very first time Venom ever played in Houston. You know, we got to open for him. It was a, it was a fucking big deal. Those no, shows but- with Venom Inc. were so fucking intense, man. Like, I had never seen the demolition man do his thing. Yes. <laughs> and just to see him come up, he's like, all right, Houston, you're all out having 30 points to be here, but we're all here. And I want to let you know that we are all sons of Hades. Yes. And, like, all of a sudden, it's crushing just metal. Oh, my God. It was like, awesome. Amazing. Is there a Houston show for that? Yeah. 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 Didn't Bill bring them? Bill Bates was uh, the we, promoter, right? One me time? and DeCondo brought them first. DeCondo, okay. I remember that. That was at we, Fitz, right? We brought them at Fitz, yeah. That was the first time they'd ever played in Houston in 30 years. Wow. And then they came to Walters yep. on Walters Naylor, Naylor. Yep. after that. I don't know. I can't remember who handled the booking on that show. But yeah, we we brought them the first time because trust me, the guarantee and the rider and all that shit was kind of fucking ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> the, night they played, the night they played Naylor, I got to meet Mantis. I got a, a photo with Demolition Man where he's like touching my head. It's just like weird shit. It was a good night, man. Like we were all partying. It was awesome. If you don't have Mantis's twelve pack of Coca Cola, <laughs> you're in trouble. <laughs> I, I didn't have that. I just had the desire. Straight up, to take I, we, a had, we were like, we were like, we've got cola on tap, so we didn't think we had to go buy soda. John Perez from Solitude Eternus was their tour manager, hmm. and he comes up to me, you know, and we, he and I go back. So he's like, "Bro, you got to go to the store." And I was like, "What?" He was like, "Mantis is back there, freaking the fuck out because you don't have a twelve pack of Coca Cola back there for him to drink." <laughs> he's like, "Total straight edge." He kicked Luis Carlos. And like a whole bunch of people out of the backstage <laughs> for smoking weed. Oh, really? Yeah, dude. They were pissed, dude. I was like, bro, it's the green room. And he was like, that's not even funny, dude. Get him out. <laughs> wow. We we thought we had it all because all Abaddon wanted was a fucking bottle of Jack. We were like, we got that all day long. <laughs> got it. But yeah, they were. Other than that, man, those guys, that was a really good fucking night. I like that. I like that. That was fun. So speaking of, um, you mentioned uh, your first show was was the band with Hasrod. It was uh, about a, what, a month ago, month and a half ago, two months ago. Has it been that long? No. Yeah, yeah that's what we were saying the other night. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, man, I want to hear what you got. This was your very first performance in Houston and and live together. What was going through your mind that evening and and the reaction that you guys got? Uh, well, we sold out, which right. I didn't expect. Didn't they? I, I, I don't know if uh, Marie's told me this, but didn't James Rivera, they told him he couldn't get in because it was sold out? 
No, he was inside. I won't speak about that. But I, I've heard that story too. Larry, Larry Berrigan, Larry Berrigan, the Larry Berrigan. Okay, from Hillsborough. Texted me from the parking lot and said, "Hey, man, where are you?" And I was like, "What's going on?" He's like, "Dude, they're not letting me in. We're at capacity. They're saying that that I can't get in." And I was like, um, "That's not acceptable to me because you're <laughs> fucking Larry Berrigan from Hellstorm." Right. So like I came outside to the parking lot to try to figure some things out. By the time I gotten outside, they had already figured out who the fuck Larry was and they let him in. But we heard these stories from a few other friends who are also in prominent bands in Houston who should have been admitted upon just presentation. Like, <laughs> hi, I'm so and so. Yes, please be escorted in immediately. And instead, they were met with, uh, "The show is sold out. Who are you? Like, we got to wait for on? someone to leave." Which was hilarious as fuck to me. I was like, I actually before I took the stage, I was like, "Why is this happening right now?" Like, I don't, I don't need all this fanfare. Like, just please let these people in. Like, I. I I don't even know if I want them to be here because they're better musicians than I am. And like, yeah, actually maybe let them stay outside. So I don't have to feel bad about <laughs> myself when I play. <laughs> but when we finally got on stage and everybody was vibing, I was like, okay, we're here to do a thing. We have practiced this thing and we're going to do this thing. And so we got on stage and we did the thing. You did to the, the point thing. that, as others have mentioned, our vocalist broke his goddamn hand on stage because he was doing the thing and he couldn't stop doing the thing. <laughs> doing the thing. We were all just like, Hazarot will not be stopped. Hazarot you know? must destroy. Hazarot is here to slay. And like, that's just what the fuck happened. At the beginning of the set, when we took a shot and there was a standing ovation before we had played a single fucking note, I was like, we're going to be all right. <laughs> but I didn't know our singer was going to break his fucking hand at the end of the set. To yeah. your point, though, when we fucking finish this set, and this is a thing that, I mean, I've played in several bands now with various people in Houston. I have never in my life experienced this. First time a band plays, screaming and chanting, has a rod. Has a rod, has a rod. Like after we finished playing, I was like, <laughs> I, I had mixed feelings on stage. It's like I know I fucked up a bunch of times. I was like, I don't deserve this. I I don't deserve. But I was like, well, first time playing, it, nobody like, nobody knows yet. So you're good. Sure, but like I mean, like for me personally as a guitar player, if you get to know yeah. me really well, I'm never happy with anything I yeah. do ever live. I'm He's like, I'm the worst judge. Could have bent I, this, not either, this note so. nicer. I could have done this. Could have done that. They're all they're all chanting, and I was like, I don't know that we deserve it. That was my first reaction. And then five minutes later, I was like, but maybe we do though. Like maybe it was maybe it was a really good show. Maybe like we just did some things really really right. And a lot of people came up to me afterwards. They're like, hey man, like yeah, you guys just played didn't let up you didn't give a shit about anything it's clear that you're all friends it's clear that you all love this music it's clear that you guys are on to something and that really really meant a lot to me because you know again ben and i have spent over a decade playing together 
in a genre of music that has nothing to do with death metal. And yet the first time Ben and I met, it was hilarious. He goes, are you the new death metal guy? They just hired at work. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. how did that slip out of the interview? But yeah, yeah, that, that's me, man. I, I'm the death metal guy. That's always been my thing. So it, it's like kind of a big deal for me to be in a band finally where I'm expressing this side of my musical taste and to have people saying like, this really resonates with me. And I'm just like kind of kicking myself. I'm like, like, but really though? Like you, you like what we're doing? I just like, this is for me. I, I don't know who it's for other than the guys I play with who seem to enjoy what we're doing. But like, this is for me. I just, I really want to play it this way. And they're like, yeah, I dig it. It's just surreal. I don't know. I love it. I I hope that we keep doing what we're doing. I love the brotherhood that exists in this band. We all push pull. We all have issues at times. <laughs> we all uh, have thoughts no. about things. Shenanigans. And, uh, yeah, shenanigans are plenty, man. Uh, you know, uh. dirty Mondays and talking. <laughs> but. I, I just I rely on the fact that these guys like they all know what they're doing and as long as we practice and we we fucking get together and talk about things like I really don't think there's anything that we can't do. I mean that. I would have to agree with that. Like at the end of that set, like he was saying the chanting, like I mean yeah. I, I've been I in the death metal scene for fucking ever now and you know, I can't recall a time where there was chanting like that and I was going, God damn it, I wish we had one more fucking song. Like, shit, we need one more song to fucking finish that shit out. But you, you it was like, well, cover you, you guys are just going to have to wait till the next one. Not not yet. We will. Nice. No, nope. sure. Would you say Sean covers yet? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. We've, we've already been kind of discussing these things. Yeah. <laughs> I can imagine uh, Bloodbath and Opes are going to make it in there somewhere, right? Actually, oh. not at all. Um, oh, shit. Th- what we're discussing is probably going to fucking throw people a left curveball, and it's great. I love it. Yeah, oh, yeah. Me too, actually. <laughs> Looking forward to that. <laughs> all right. Uh, let's get into the, the next band we're going to play this evening. This is a band that two of the members are actually in together. This is, can't believe this. I, I looked it up. This album is 10 years old now. Yeah. Could not believe that. I'm like, Crazy. what the hell? How did, what happened? Um, the Shining Pass, uh, this is, I think, this is where we really started to get to know each other. Yeah. I knew Maurice a little bit from other people. Uh, we have a lot of common friends together. But um, knowing him as a rock god, starting here. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, wasn't, I wasn't even a rock god at that point, Carrie, but I, oh, no, I, but now you are. I was, I was the Thank you. Throw them at me. I need them. As a guitar <laughs> player, I, I have to have it. <laughs> but, I was trying to get you a bit. You weren't in it then, but you are now. So <laughs> that's that's right. facts. I okay. appreciate that. Uh, so tell me a little bit about uh, Sanctus Bellum, the band, and uh, what's happening there. Ask Ben Yeager. Uh, band. Not not much at the moment. Uh, our last show was 2019, August of 2019. We, we played a wedding in November of 2019. I was there. Oh yeah, okay, all right, yeah. So that was the last thing we've done, and then uh, you had know. the best sound ever. 
the uh, the it's a uh, show. You know, <laughs> the the pandemic set in, and so nothing's yeah. really happened with it. Um, you know, I I it's uh, I, I'd say dormant, but I don't think it's dead. I, I hope it's not. Oh, dead. It's cool. absolutely not dead. Yeah, I will. Right I will first. say those words now and a million times. The last show that Sanctus Bellum played that I can remember, and forgive me, Ben, if I'm wrong, we played with Brimstone Coven yep. and Dan Electros. Yeah, and we played a rock at night. Now I'm not going to get into all the things I did before I took the stage, but when I did, my father-in-law was there, and he said, "Man, that's one of the best shows I've ever seen you play." And I said. <laughs> what led to that perspective? And he's just like, you just seem really at home with everything that you were doing. And I was like, that is on the money. I, I felt really at home. I, I always feel really at home with Sanctus Bellum. It is home. And uh, me going out to Baltimore tomorrow, <laughs> I might try to find a moment to take a picture in front of Sidebar the Tavern. Sidebar and- Tavern. Ben could tell you oh, a tale or two <laughs> from the last the time I was bar. there. Well, I've had some nights at the Sidebar Tavern myself. Sidebar Tavern in Baltimore is home of the uh, was home to the legendary Doom Metal Festival, uh, Doom or Be Doomed, and its uh, pro- progeny. Each year they gave it a slightly slightly different. Uh, name there was uh, Doom or Be Doomed was 07 08 they had Declaration of Doom and then they took a year off and then in 2010 they did Born to Be Doomed which was a collaboration with the Born Too Late Festival and um, man Doom or Be Doomed Festival in 07 was such a watershed moment for me I went you know it was sort of it was run by John Brenner uh, of Revelation and Josh Hart, who uh, had played in Revelation and in Orthodox. Uh, later on, played in Earthride, and um, th- it was their love letter to Marilyn Doom and everything that has come out of that scene. And so many bands from that scene never get out to Texas, never get out anywhere here. I mean. Some of them don't really play shows. They're from the yeah. 90s, and they brought back mm-hmm. a bunch of bands that were you know, not really going at that point in time. And so I flew out there, and I got to see uh, reunion shows for Revelation, both the Salvation's Answer lineup and the Never Come Silence lineup. Uh, got to see Against Nature, which is the same members as the uh, Salvation's Answer lineup of Revelation. Got to see Unorthodox for the first time. Got to see Asylum, which was like the original version of Unorthodox. Um, got to see uh, uh, Wretched, the doom metal Wretched, not the weird fucking metalcore Wretched. Uh, <laughs> the original Wretched, the real Wretched, thank you very much. Earthride, had never seen before. Oradruin, Penance doing a reunion show. Blood Farmers doing a reunion show. Uh, just like all, Iron Man doing their first show back in in many Damn. many years, um, I had a a insane moment where I uh, back if you watch the Last Days Here documentary, Bobby Liebling of Pentagram, yeah. sort of salad days at the beginning part of that that movie. Um, I in the middle of that, 
I think they had taped, already started taping some of it. Me and this other kid uh, brought him, like drove out to Germantown, Maryland, picked him up uh, and brought him to that festival and got him on stage. Because it was a point where you didn't think you would ever see him on stage or do a full set again. And we got him on stage with an Orthodox doing war pigs. And I arranged the whole thing and like talked Dale into it and then tried to tell Bobby that it was Dale's idea. And, uh, the the Eli from the blood farmers wrote out all the lyrics for him. And it was this, it was, and it was like, and it's, it's, you can see on, on, on YouTube. Um, you guys brought Bobby down here. It's well, that was where we met you. Well, we before did. we knew each other before then, sort of, yeah. but I knew. I, I knew very well before that. You, but, yeah. But yeah, maybe but you and the rest of the guys. But what, what year was that? That was 2012. It was 2012. Okay. Yeah. That, that was Rudyard's, right? Rudyard's, yeah. Yeah. Were you there, Sean? I don't yeah. remember. You were there, yeah. That was like uh, Rivera played jam some songs yeah. with you guys, and then so Bobby Cleveland came out. Three sets that night. We played Sanctus. We <laughs> yeah. played. Sanctus Bellum Sanctus, as we called it, which was the set that we did with Rivera. We did Candle Mass, we did Rainbow, yeah. we did Maiden, we did a bunch of shit. I filmed it. that show. I have video footage of that somewhere. Yeah, there's a we couple did, songs. We did Screaming too. for Vengeance by yeah. Judas Priest in that right. set. That was nonsense. Yeah. And then we did the Bobby Liebling set. And Old that 70s was, Pentagram Deep Cuts. Yep. What was epic about that for me, I was in California for work like earlier that week. I hadn't rehearsed as much as these guys had. And I basically had maybe like one, two nights with Bobby before we did that show where he was in town. Like, I think it was really honestly just one night. It was, it was the, the night before and then the afternoon of. Yeah. Like we, we, we had like two rehearsals at best. We got in there and we did what we could. And like, I knew I was still like a little bit shaky on a couple things I tightened it up before the night of to where like the rhythm parts I felt really good about and we got into it and then we were getting into the leads and Bobby Liebling would come up to me on stage. I don't know what he would do this to me over yawn. It was really funny to me, but he came up to me. I guess he knew I would do what he wanted and he just whispered in my ear. He's like, Hey, listen, like I just really don't want like a big fanfare right here. I want deep blues licks, like just deep pentatonic, just give me some vibrato, give me some love right now. And I was like, you're Bobby Liebling of fucking Pentagram. I'm playing your songs. You wrote this shit. I'll do anything you say. <laughs> and I literally just like, st- as soon as he started whispering these things in my ear, I just start like bending deep cut vibrato, just like slow blues licks, whatever Bobby wants. And he's just like staring at me with his patented crazed Bobby eyes and he's like, "Yes, that's what I wanted." I was like, "If I can find, if I can find the uh, the video footage, I think it might be on YouTube somewhere. I'll, I'll yeah, link it in a, the show notes." A couple notes. of songs on on there. It was it was a fucking yeah. surreal surreal moment for me. Where it was like, a killer Bobby, night, dude. Bobby Liebling comes up and he tells you to do anything on stage while you're playing with Bobby Liebling. I'm like. You just you just do whatever he says. Like you, I'm not. This is not my band. I'm not. I'm not playing my shit tonight. I'm I, playing your shit. So you you right. want you want slow, low and slow. Speaking of I, speaking of playing your shit though, let's get into Sanctus Bellum. Let's before, get into 
if I if I yeah if I, you may if I if I, if I may hijack so two 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 things and then I'll shut up about this forever um, <laughs> forever or or just for now whatever and so so <laughs> there was this insane moment because I mean Pentagram was my favorite band at, mm-hmm. at that point and and still is I mean just I was gonna say was. I sort of go back and forth Pentagram and Caius, but anyway, um, I, uh, you know, so I got to be in my favorite band for a night, which is the most fuckedest, weirdest thing and amazing ever, uh, you know, I, but there was this moment we were doing 20 bucks spin and like, he was kind of, you know, we were kind of looking at each other. He's kind of looking at me playing and like, I fucked up, uh, something and, and, and he, I kind of looked at him and was like, Meh. And he kind of looked at me and was like, sort of, should give me this sort of shrug, like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's it this great, great moment. It's kind of one of my favorite memories from the night. Wow. Um, that was a killer night, I, I will admit. That was so much fun. Yeah, that was, it was insane. It was insane. And, uh, but we also, going back to, to Doom or Be Doom, so that festival in 07 was the watershed moment that made me go, I need to do a Doom band. And that Doom band was Sanctus Bellum. Mm. And then we went and played at the 2010 iteration, the Born to be Doomed, at the sidebar. And so got to, to play and got to play in front of, you know, John Gallo from Oradruin and Bert Hall from Revelation and, and all these people who, you know, had such a profound impact on, on what I was trying to do in, in that band. Let's uh, play some Sanctus so now, now you can Now you can play it. No, See, Cryptos is coming back with that old co-host mentality. Like, you're going to play a song now. Hey, right. It really was. <laughs> so, yeah, like we said earlier, this is Sanctus Bellum Vessel from the 2012 album, The Shining Pass. We'll be back. Reckoning to you 
up everybody you're tuned into msr cast this is cryptos aka papa josh and we just heard squirrel keeper fortune favors the bold from their latest most recent release it's like riding a bike man isn't it it is you're just jumping right back on it right <laughs> fortune favors the bold 
So if you don't know who Scrollkeeper is, it uh, features your vocalist, um, Justin, but completely different style on, uh, in this band. Oh, for sure. Mm-hmm. He, you know, like it's night and day. <laughs> yeah. Dude, he's got songs where he's talking about the devil's calculus. He's got songs where he's singing about, you know, things that Virgil might have said upon the path of enlightenment in the 10th circle of hell. If you're what? digging into Dante's Inferno, I don't even know. But, like, it's awesome. Yeah. He's a, he's a smart dude. That's all I got to say. He's a teacher, isn't he? Yeah. Dude, yeah. teacher of the year. Teacher of the year. That's right. Congratulations. Teacher of the fucking year. We Those have the teacher words, of the year in our band. Couldn't, couldn't be more true, man. Justin is an absolute scholar in every sense of the word. He invites discordant fucking dialogue into his entire life and revels in it. And I love him for that. Yeah, he teaches the minds. He teaches the minds of of young kids about metal, and he teaches them about regular shit too. And not even the, not even the things he teaches the young kids about. I'm I'm talking about just in adult conversations. If Justin were here today and we chose a particularly hot topic, mm-hmm. he'd have some things to say about it, and he would not <laughs> back down for an inch. And I love him for that. Justin is a man of conviction, and. There are a few people that I know that would stick to their convictions the way that he does, and I respect the shit out of him for that. So oh, you're, gonna, you're about to say something, Benjamin? I'm sorry. I say, in all fairness, though, the devil's calculus is actually just regular calculus. <laughs> That's true. It's that new math, right? <laughs> hey Ben, can you tell me the derivative of three x squared minus two b plus five? I don't know. Well, so we, yeah, when you get the minus in there, it's tricky. But three x squared, it would be, if I recall correctly, two two thirds x. Oh, you're actually doing it. If I remember, <laughs> it's been a long time since fucking calculus. I've had I've had to remember my AP test, so I don't even know anymore. I feel one like one eight eleven, right? X cubed became three x squared yeah. on a derivative or an integral or some that shit. That sounds right. Yeah, got lost in informal geometry. One plus one, <laughs> one plus one is eleven. Is not correct. <laughs> yes. Okay. Well, that's one as, equals one. As Ben would tell you, after watching Spinal Tap, sometimes monkeys have developed bread making skills of their own. <laughs> no, well, no, that's that's the issue. Is they the the diet consists. Almost entirely of bread, but they've got no bread-making skills of their own. The only time math makes sense is when it involves money. No, don't look at it. It's never been played. Can you you guys believe we're living in an era where we're getting a sequel to Spinal Tap? It's awesome. No, I I don't want to. I reject. I reject that narrative. Oh, my God. Are we going to have this conversation right now? Yeah, we no, are. we're not. We're not. Yeah, no, we no, are. we're not. Let's have we this are. conversation. We're having It'll be it. Good. <laughs> we gotta have it out right here. It's a fine line. Uh, it's a fine fucking line. Take, take the movie and reject it because it was already made. But it's like how much like more black that this already be? was blown up on none, the None of blacker. <laughs> ben and I, I think, are on the same. Currently <laughs> residing in the where are they now category. <laughs> right, Ben. <laughs> wow, Carrie, do you want this sequel to be made? Like, just be real about it. Um, 
Yes. Uh, okay. I'm going to say yes, and I'm going to say no. I don't want them to fuck it up. Hold Those on. Two separate answers. Well, well, this is this is my show. Let me let me let me talk. <laughs> um, you see the I, host duties two hours ago. I, that's true. I apparently I lost my host duties. Um, he said duty. Uh, <laughs> I would have said no. I watched the new season of Kids in the Hall last week, and I would have thought, why are they doing a new season of Kids in the Hall? It's been how many years? And right. it was fucking funny and phenomenal. Really? And oh yeah, it's super it was amazing. It was amazing. It. So okay. I'm excited that that I, I I love Spinal Tap. I mean. They put out albums. Yes. Why not do another movie? You know what I, I have, mean? I have all of the albums. Exactly. Why, why not? I even why have not? the one that has the pop-up characters that pop up. I, re- I remember that. <laughs> why not? Stonehenge pop-up. Because, because, because it was awesome the first time, and they don't need to fuck with it. That's why. But, yeah, but that, but, would, that would be if it was a remake. This is no. a sequel. That's what's going to make it funny. Is not, Nothing about any of the stuff they've done since has given any indication that anything is going to be good. Do do a, do a round of live shows, play yeah. the hits, play yeah. Stonehenge. Those records. But don't don't make another. There's no Stonehenge where the banshees dwell and they do well. Based on the DVD commentary, <laughs> I remember some Hold on, hold on, Sean. Everybody's singing to the pipes of Pan. All right, Sean, go ahead. Based on the DVD commentary they recorded in character, um, yeah. which was like twenty or sixteen years ago, I think they still got it. I think they can like they can pull something off. I think it will be funny. It's gonna. Be I had to. Uh, a friend of mine does a podcast um, called. Uh, he, he does a show called Matinee Heroes, and he does a part of it called Recast. And uh, he invited me on. It was a few months ago. I don't remember how long ago, but I had to recast Spinal Tap. So I'll have to put a link to that in the show notes because it was a lot of fun. If you don't jam break like the wind, you're a fucking poser. But hold on. Here's what I want to know. Sean it's the majesty of rock. Sean thinks it's going to be funny. So, Sean, how funny do you think it's going to be? Can we make some sort of financial wager? Oh, no, no, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not betting on this, no. <laughs> so suddenly your confidence is wagering. I stand wagering. by my convictions. What are you wanting to wager? I just money of some kind. Regarding something to what, make though? it like whatever. It, okay, fine. Not even money. Pride, power. I, I don't know. Pride. Regarding, what what is your pride? What are we? What are we? Don't talk about we, pride. What power. are we uh, putting a bet on though? <laughs> that is good. Pride, power. That, that is good, or that it's going to sell as well as the first cool one. runnings, dude. Give me pride. Give me power. Uh, Sean, tell me, what, what's it going to take for you to commit to this idea that the next wave of Spinal Tap is going to be good? Is it money? Is it, is it, is it pride? What, like, just, what, what are we vying for? Give me, give me something. Tell I'll me take pride. whatever you can give me. Give me pride. <laughs> pride. Okay. All right. So we're vying for pride now. Everyone that's listening. If the next Spinal Tap movie is badass, Sean will have pride. <laughs> if it is not good, he will lose his pride. That's what we've learned today. Then pride that's the majesty of rock. 
I feel like we should be playing Final Tap now. What, what is going on? I feel like we should, dude. Like, you know. Did I, did I, America, that's Nigel's tune. We're in this together. With a Banshee's 12. Did, and I, do live did we accidentally spoil the band that is actually going to be covered by Hasserot? Hello, my <laughs> yeah, I mean, it should be, but it's so not. Should be. It would be pretty I think fun. I'm going to play actually. Cups and Cakes. Uh, I just got to be. I just got to be warnful, Josh. Uh, be careful if you do cover Spinal Tap because you are the drummer. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Duly noted. I, I once upon a time record of you know. I once all a, this, you're watching us play, and then all of a sudden you see poof. <laughs> so I think I think based on where this is going, Ben and I are going to record Fancy Jack. Is that what's going to happen? <laughs> Saucy Jack. Saucy Jack. Or a naughty Saucy one. Jack. Saucy, Saucy Jack. Jack. Yeah, that's right. I I once upon a time played in a Spinal Tap tribute band. What? Are you, really? Back when I was in college. Yes, it was called Intravenous de Milo. Oh my god! <laughs> we only played. It was like I was an, an undergrad in college, and it was like me and a handful of med students. And the only shows we ever played were med school functions. Oh, there you uh, go. And we only did about four or five songs, but we did uh, "Give Me Some Money." We Give did "Hellhole," "Heavy Give Duty," and uh, "Tonight I'm Gonna Rock You." Give me some money. <laughs> Welcome back to the Spinal Tap Podcast. <laughs> You recall the lines and fifths. <laughs> All right. So let's talk. Did we? We didn't really talk about Schoolkeeper. We just if talked I've about. I've told you once. I've told you a hundred times. Spinal Tap first, puppet show last. There you go. <laughs> All, right. All right. So let's talk about Schoolkeeper, and then we're going to actually get into another track from another band that features you guys. So let's Schoolkeeper, uh, totally different vibe and style than what. He does in Hasserot. It's definitely. Um, how did you? I mean, you you said earlier that he was in Desmond Band before, because I'd never heard that. Yeah, he was in Obliquity. Oh, I, actually, on this point, I have a funny anecdote. Oh, so I was, I was in my infancy as a guitar player. I wasn't even in a band at all, ever. And this is when what fucking MySpace was a thing. It wasn't Justin. It was the girl who was playing bass in Obliquity. She hit me up on MySpace and she was like, hey, we've got this death metal band. Do you want to play? you want to do whatever? And I actually said, no, I don't think I have the chops to play in that band. I don't think I could be that person. That was then. And don't get me wrong. At that time, I was so into death metal. And I probably was looking for every excuse to be in a death metal band, but I knew, I knew I didn't have the ability to play death metal on that level. And honestly, like Sanctus Bellum was a breeding ground for me to understand like how to play in a band, how to, how to write riffs, how to like think about things in a different way. And even then, there was the taskmaster, Mr. Benjamin Yeager, sitting here <laughs> on the other end of this line, telling me, uh, your riffs are too European. Don't play that. <laughs> it, it's not true circle of Maryland doom, brother. We're not going to play those riffs right here, right now. And I was like, what does that mean? I don't even know. 
And <laughs> it, it, it actually really just took me to a place of understanding like what is songcraft, what is like trying to understand how you write for a certain thing and a time and a place. All of that has led me to where I have come and where I'm going. And all I know, frankly, raise my glasses to everybody on this chat right now. Everybody here, as I have said before, students of metal, my bandmates, Mr. Benjamin Yeager, Mr. Josh Merritt, a.k.a. Cryptos Grimm, you guys have renewed in me a faith of the spirit of just ingenuity, writing, songcraft, let's make some nonsense happen and break down doors and burn down buildings. <laughs> um, I, I, I really appreciate what you guys bring to the table each and every day and how you guys come to what we do and what you guys are trying to bring from yourselves uh, to this band. I don't think I could do it without you. I, I, I know I couldn't do it without you. So cheers to the rhythm section because what I know to be true for death metal period, you can't play in a death metal band. If your rhythm section is shit, it just, it just can't happen the rhythm section makes a death metal band. So cheers, man. Cheers, my brother. Thank you, sir. Cheers to everyone, man. Uh, let's get into, let's get into the next, uh, set of music here. Uh, let's talk about blues funeral. Yeah. You know, um, the first like hint of a Hasserot picture was at a blues funeral show at sound exchange. No, really? Yeah, like it was. That's like, fact. A little bit more of the backstory on what Mo already laid out earlier. Um, when I did those like five or six last Project Armageddon shows with Brandon, one of the things that he and I always talked about was like, dude, we should really fucking jam together. You know, we should like do something. And it just kind of was like this like thing, like in the back burner, you know, whatever. Little did I know that he and Maurice <laughs> were over there talking about the same thing. And so like years go by, you know, a couple of years go by. And then I'm at this show, you know, watching Blues Funeral. Second time I've seen Blues Funeral at Sound Exchange because I saw them at the original, you know, not the original, but the last location. And yep. then now the current location. And they came up to me after that show and like kind of just... <laughs> Drop the ball on me, and it was like, Yeah, we're gonna do that. <laughs> and then it just kind of here we are, like two years later. Two years, hmm. one, one side note blues funeral story from that, from that show. This is awesome. So, my <laughs> mother in law was at that show, and Frazier. Bodied her, like literally, just shoved her away to go talk to somebody and scream "Deep Purple," <laughs> play "Deep Purple." He just really wanted to scream about "Deep Purple," but he literally bodied my mother-in-law 
And all of a sudden, I get my wife and my mother-in-law who are at that show, and they come up to me and they're like, "Hey, who's this guy? <laughs> fucking body? He's the king of metal." <laughs> I was like, "Wait, describe him to me." And she goes, "It's." It, and I looked across the room and I'm like, "Oh my god, okay." <laughs> Here's here's what I know. Here's what I don't know. We are complying with all of the information that Frazier has asked of us, but <laughs> we, we don't know. We don't know what Frazier's intentions are. He, he, he comes into a room and he demands oh, things to people. And we just we just don't know what he wants. But he's you know. There. If you're from the Houston area, you know Frazier. He's known in shit. Out He's at the, known in <laughs> shit. <laughs> at the Hasserot show, uh, he was there and he was yelling. Yeah. And God, it brought back. About? He was just, just screaming and yelling. And it brought back so many memories of, of being at shows. I was like, all right, we're back. Uh, all right. So, Lucky's Funeral, let's get into a track from the, the Search album. Uh, Ben, let's, let's uh, well, who wants to talk about it? Well, I'm not in Blues Funeral. I know you're not. But, <laughs> so I, 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 well, if you're gonna, but I don't. If you're going to play Palmdale, this one was picked by Kryptos because he felt oh, it would right. have handle mass vibes. This is a Yanni special. I actually wish Yan was on the line because this is his, this is his song. This is his vibe. It is a Just, total Messiah fucking vibe. So I will tell Yanni right now if he's listening that yes, you have nailed the fucking Messiah Marcolin Candlemas era vibe on this track because I have played this track myself numerous times on my own show. He would love to hear that because he is a student of Messiah as well. He subscribes to my same notions of, hey, if we get drunk, we should be (laughs) Messiah-like. And uh, that said, I remember when this record was being conceived. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll say some things about this, about, about this record in particular. I, I just want to lay it out. This record was formed, honestly, because Jan and I were at a point where we both felt like, hey, 60s and 70s music a lot of these influences these things are important to us we we, we really want to we really want to do this kind of thing and didn't have the time because there were other things that were happening that were more important mm-hmm. and then suddenly the time came and so we were like okay we're going to we're going to do this and so we did and we both actually had really kind of different, but also same, same ideas about what we wanted to be exemplified by what this band was going to do. So like for me, it was a lot of, you know, flowery proggy shit. And for Jan, it was a lot of, you know, just let me feel the vibe, hear the cult, hear candle mass, hear all this other kind of stuff. Yeah. Vibes. Yeah. And then we both brought it together and figured it out. And there were a lot of vocal harmonies and, and all kinds of other things. And and that's really what defines Blues Funeral, man. Like, we're about to play this show on 624. And I told him and the guys, I was like, hey, coming back to this music, 
that we haven't played in probably three years because of COVID and every other bullshit. I had to sit down and listen to our music again. I really did. I had to sit down and think about it because honestly, my every waking moment in the past several months has been dedicated to Hazarod. So I had to like remember what is Blue's Funeral. And I sat down and I listened to it and I was like, it's the vocal harmonies. It's the leads that like follow jazz chords. It's, it's this vibe that we have. It's friendship that we have. And it's the way that we all read each other as musicians. I was like, oh man, I'm actually really excited to play this 1810 Ojiman show. And maybe I'll just like surprise all of you and just not play what I used to play on the record and just like throw a few chromatics and jazz licks in and just be a weirdo about it. But I, I don't know, man. Like when you when you play with a group of people, this this is the thing I've learned in music. I just want to put this out there for anyone who's listening to this. It's awesome. When you play with a group of people in music, whoever it is, you just get to be in this space where you're with people who understand this common thing that you want to do. That's what Hazarot's doing right now. And it's so awesome. Like if I lay out a song for Josh and I'm like, here's what I think the drums could be. Josh is like, yeah, that's cool, man. I'm still going to play it the way that it needs to be played. And I'm like, that's cool. And then he comes to practice and he lays it out and he fucking destroys it and shows us how he feels about a certain situation. And the rest of us are like, dude, yes, this is how this song needs to be played. Ben does the same thing on bass, man. Like... I, I, I've never been in bands with Ben for forever. Like my my experience in bands has been with Ben. That's a lot of alliteration. <laughs> and he he fucking comes forth and plays what he needs to from the depths, but like from a place of just like, dude, here's who I am. I'm Ben. I'm gonna show you like what I want. <laughs> play as a person so you know how i feel about things hell yes you couldn't ask to be in a fucking motley crew with better people man like these guys (laughs) these guys fucking absolutely know what they want to do they're doing it and they're doing it well and every time i talk to other people i'm getting compliments on them and that's awesome. That's that awesome. Let, that lets me know because I I fucking take responsibility for a lot of this. But that lets me know that I'm doing something right as a band leader, like just letting them fly and do what they need to do. When people are coming up to me and they're telling me, dude, your people fucking sound awesome they're just killing it and your shit sounds amazing. I'm like, 
it's it's not a surprise why I've aligned myself with people who really just want to fucking fly. Yeah. All right. Let's uh, let's get into the next set of tracks, and we need to come back, and we got to wrap stuff up, and we got to talk about where people can order the album, uh, Bandcamp, and all that good stuff, and what's coming up for you guys. So let's get into Blue's Funeral. We'll be right back.
And we're back, my friends. Uh, finishing that last set of music right there was uh, local band Doomstress, which features uh, guitar player extraordinaire from your band, Brandon Johnson. That's so cool. I, I've uh, I've I, I've been following Doomstress for a while. Great, great, great stuff. And it's cool that you guys totally different than what, what Astrod's doing. So it's, it's cool for him to get his chops in, you know, in a different style, you know, it's really cool. Yeah, no, hell yeah. With, with Hazarod, honestly, what's really interesting, we're all actually waiting on this. I hope Brandon's cool with me saying this right now, but uh, he's written probably the nastiest riff that any of us are capable of. And he's just, he's holding on to it because he just, he wants the song to be just right. You got to burst it, man. You got to burst no, it. Correct. Like, like seriously, it's it's the nastiest morbid angel shit and Celtic frost shit fused into one or two riffs that you've ever heard, and he has it. And it's and got it's just, the name like of the right there. It's got and, the name of the band in it, which I think is part of his holdup. Totally. It, no, really. We the working title of what Brandon's working on is the curse. Of Hazarod. Oh. And so he has these riffs. We have these things. They're very nice. Well, that's funny because did you see what I titled this episode of the show? The Conjuring of Hazarod. Yeah, I appreciate that. We all do. I mean, like, if if we want to take it back, if we want to take it back (laughs) to Cleveland, Ohio, and the Hazarod family, entrepreneurs, this, that, and the other, blah, 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 the angel of death, victorious, tears of black eyes, of vomit and death. It's awesome. But Brandon has written riffs that all of us have heard at this point. Everyone here on this chat, myself, Ben, Josh, we know, we know the riffs of this song. And frankly, I have to say, it's filthy. It's filthy. Ben is a thousand percent right. It's filthy. Brandon's riffs are disgusting, and we want we want these riffs to see the light of day. God damn it! The Brandon, pressure is fucking Brandon, on. Brandon, Brandon, 
Brandon, if you're listening to this shit right now, I swear to I swear to fucking God, dude, finish the fucking song. I tried. You heard I, it. I, I try. I tried to finish it for you. I I wrote what I wrote for you to finish the song. Fine. It's not good enough. <laughs> Brandon, I swear to God, finish the fucking song. Brandon because is a why? riff master. Because why? Because why? Yes, Ben said it. Brandon's a goddamn riff master. No, anyone listening to this is going to be like, dude, oh, dude, the guys in Hazrat love their fucking guitar player, Brandon, so much. They're like, dude, his riffs are cool. No, I swear to God, these <laughs> riffs are the shit. Uh, we're, we're really not saying this for our benefit. We're... I mean, we are because we we want them to come out. <laughs> we so want this fucking them. song to be done. <laughs> yeah, like we just like we want to play the song. They're really fucking awesome riffs. Like, uh, <laughs> so Brandon, if you hear this, I've said it. Josh <laughs> has said it. Ben has said it. Kerry doesn't know better, but he's gonna say it. I'm gonna. I, I've said it. I'll say it. Sean is saying it. Sean said it. I mean, that's like five of us at least. <laughs> Brandon, finish the fucking riff. Finish right. the fucking riff. We love Brandon. <laughs> okay, so Ben, uh, <laughs> finish the fucking riff. <laughs> so as as Maurice is eloquently saying, there's riffs coming. Uh, yes. Where? What's the next step for the band? What are y'all working on right now? So we are. We got some shows coming up. Uh, the boys will be heading out to San Antonio and the Valley in July uh, for some shows with bands that they will remember better than Bruca. I will. Bruca. Bruca. Bruca will be playing uh, both the San Antonio and the Harlingen show. Baruca, and, okay. And... Uh, yeah, and then we've got uh, in August we are back in Houston, uh, opening for Deicide at Scout Bar. Nice. That's the Legion tour, isn't it? That is the yes. fucking it Legion is tour. It's yeah. the Legion tour. That's awesome. And, and um, so, have you guys? Uh, let, let me ask you this, Josh. Have you guys started even thinking about writing your full lengths already? What's going on there? We're already three to four. Well. We're already multiple songs in, but we're like three songs completed. I would say. Mm, nice. I think I think everybody here would that, agree with would agree with that. That's facts. So so, Carrie, to answer that question, uh, we have a lot of material that we need to work through, yeah. but we've got three straight bangers that we are through to Josh's point. Nice. Where, if you ask to play them tomorrow, we they're not that. on the EP. But if you said, hey, bathe me in the blood of Hazarot tomorrow night, we'll do it. Those nice. songs would be included. I mean, shit, we just played a brand new one, what was it, two nights ago? Yes. Yeah. Two nights ago, and I feel confident that that song could have easily have been played at a show, and we've never played that song together until the other night. So we we've not even talked about this. I I, I kind of have a, a vibe about San Antonio in the Valley. I kind of want to do a different set list. Maybe. Uh, we're we're seeing how the sausage is made now. <laughs> I, I, I'm I'm I'm, I'm kind of like maybe we play 
one set of songs in San Anne, one set of songs in the Valley. I don't know. Maybe it can happen. Like, we'll just, we'll decide how we feel about certain things with certain songs that are being played. I don't know. Maybe we'll hear that Final Tap cover. (laughs) Bring it back. All right. Um, right. Let's talk about the the EP. (laughs) (laughs) No way. You stand. Open Pandora's box here. (laughs) <laughs> um, open Pandora's box. She can never come out. That might be a next Pandora's box. Might actually be a song on the next goddamn Spinal Tap movie. If not. <laughs> there I was with the Pandora's box. Now I get writing credit. That's all I got to say. Um, she was coming outside. All right. So let's talk about the the EP, and it's available now as we are recording. Uh, a little like we just said behind the, behind the music here, uh, recordings a few days before the album is actually dropping, as as the young kids say. Um, so it's going to be out on CD and digital. You can actually yeah. go to hathrot.bandcamp.com, pre-order now. You can order now. Um, so if you're a local to Houston, will you be able to find it in any local stores? Yes, Sound Exchange will have it, I believe. Sound Exchange will definitely have it this weekend, or as, I'm not as sure if they'll have it this weekend. I just talked to Kurt today. He um he made contact with our label earlier in the week, nice. so it, you know I think I think the timeline on when they will get the CDs is probably very similar to when we as the band will get the CDs. Yeah, I mean everybody is in a situation right now. It's crazy with what's going on in the world. Yeah, exactly. There's delays, just shipping delays for fucking vinyl CDs, anything. Yep. Like try to try to make a fucking anything right now. It's right. gonna take a minute to get it. So, fi- so yeah, phys- physically, yes, it will take you a bit. But I think on Friday, if you- if you're one of the cats that just wants digital. There you go. You just hit that website and you've got it. Yeah, you can you can buy it digitally on the Bandcamp website itself. It's going to be streaming on a platform, so you can check it out. Yep. Um, I, you guys have been hearing these guys talk about metal this whole episode. I, I implore you to support them, uh, support or board, as we used to say here on the <laughs> show. Um, yeah, just, yeah, exactly, man. Um, <laughs> that's very cool. So that was uh, like we're, twenty years ago. <laughs> I know, right? Nuts. Yeah, yeah. Like you and I literally were like people were like podcast, what the hell are you talking about? Like, they didn't even know what the fuck that word was. What, what year did we started in 2005? I didn't know what the word was. I was like oh. I'm just going to listen to Carrie. <laughs> and it worked, right? Now yep. now look everybody following me. Where where'd my money go? What happened to my money? Wait, but I feel like we need to talk about the summoning so that Sean can get into the mix. Let's do it. The summoning. Anything. Sean, come on. Well, I'm buying the album on Friday, I'll tell you that. (laughs) We love you. That's my part of the summoning. That that makes me feel a warm and fuzzy inside. (laughs) Thank you. I think there's a lot of things making you feel warm and fuzzy at the moment. I wish I had more of that stuff that's making you feel more warm and fuzzy. I ran out. <laughs> I feel like you um, got 
pointing so, to distilleries in Scotland, but you can feel <laughs> warm and fuzzy inside on your own. You don't need <laughs> that extra special. Sometimes I do, though. Sometimes. Uh, so going back real quick to if you wanted to. Uh, so you're on uh, Redefining Darkness Records. Yes. Um, the yeah. the Bandcamp page. You can buy the CD for nine ninety nine. Um, pre-order the digital album for five bucks. And you know what's coming up soon is the first Friday of every month is Bandcamp Friday. So that means if you buy it on the first Friday of June, which what day would that be? The third or fourth. Yeah, Friday, June 3rd, the band will actually see more profit and the record label will see more of the money than that goes to Bandcamp. This, just yeah. saying. On, good on that note, I want to tell people that are listening, you know, because I know this does broadcast like worldwide. It does. Um, hit up your local record stores. Yes. And tell them to order this. Because yeah. the sooner that we sell through this first pressing, the sooner the label considers actually pressing it on vinyl. And I've had a lot of people. I was hit, just going about to ask you about the vinyl. Me up, really, hit me up about LPs because of the cover art, and the yeah. cover art does deserve to be on a fucking record. So, if you does. want to see that cover art on a fucking vinyl, hit up your record stores, get your fucking local mom and pops to order the damn record from the label. That way they get rid of all of their inventory. We'll have ours for the shows. If you want to get it from your local mom and pop, get it. Get them to stock it, and then they'll get rid of all of their inventory, and they'll have incentive to actually buy Buy the forward. CD, buy the digital version. That way the vinyl can get made, because I want this on vinyl, because that cover is amazing. Tell me about the artist that you guys used. Juanjo Castellano is a fucking demon. Yeah. He has done artwork for Vomitory. He's done artwork for Blasphemian. He's done artwork for everyone. Black like, Dolly Murder. I don't even like that shit, but I know what it means to people. And I mean, the dude has done you know, it. Like, if, if you look at the artwork that he did for Verminous, for Black Dolly Murder, not to like go down that path because I'm with you, Josh. I'm like, they're not, they're not my band. Right. And I, I understand what Trevor meant to a lot of people. Yeah, well, we got to say rest in peace to Trevor Strain. I, I agree. I'm not a, a huge black label, or uh, I'm going black label, uh, Black Dolly and Murder <laughs> fan, but sorry. I'm a huge fan of their lead guitar player, man. Brandon Ellis is a demon. Mm-hmm. He fucking plays like Marty Friedman mixed with other lead players of the day. Look, Juan's artwork inspires hope and depression at the same time when you look at what he does and how he does it. He's someone who draws inspiration from lyrics, moments, insights, someone who vibes with the band and the fact that Juan Castellano decided to Juanjo Castellano decided to come on board with Hazarod. I mean, it meant everything to us that he decided to come on board and do the artwork. There is a story to be told in the images that he displayed, and I hope that anyone 
that picks up the record, takes the time. Yeah. Look at what he did. And his use of his use of color on the album, it's fucking phenomenal. Yes. The color it's, is it's really I love this. Not just color, color yeah. but detail, man. I mean, like honestly, when I set him the lyrics as context for the for the inspiration of the art, I said, like, here's here's what we're going for for throwing a malice and I talked to Justin too, and I was like, "Man, how'd you feel about the lyrics about this? What'd you mean about this?" There's a lot about you know pagan ideology transcending just sort of standard thought processes, and it's also like you know you're gonna get into Sarah Nunos and a lot of pagan thought process. You're going to get into some interesting things. Juan was like right there. He's like, dude, you guys have some interesting thoughts about pagan thought processes, how the music is written, 90s death metal, all of it. Just let me enter the space and be myself as an artist. We gave him no parameters. We basically just said, be yourself and do what you're going to do. And he propelled forward artwork. None of us could have anticipated, but all of us, I think, appreciate. So the, the logo was not done. was done by a, a local artist. Yes. Um, Diego uh, Diablo Macabre. He's, yes, he's a phenomenal fucking artist. Um, how how did you get him involved, Ben? I I didn't. Uh, he didn't do shit. It was Brandon. It was it was Brandon. Yeah, Brandon. Brandon was like, as soon as we were getting these conversations about like who's going <laughs> to do the the artwork, this that, and the other, Brandon goes. I know who's going to do it. It's going to be Diego. And, he said, <laughs> and I said, you know what? Yes. You, you I, know what I love about it? It, it, it brings uh, like an, uh, uh, a character element, element, like, you know, like Charlie from overkill. And right. you, you got that already built into your, to your logo. Woman. <laughs> yeah. and that that will that goes a long way for yeah. for merchandising. I hate to be like you know yogurt from Spaceballs, but merchandising is important. <laughs> sure, it, but it, it's super cool, man. Dude, uh, Diego came down uh, with Ungrieved to play a show here a while back at Trip mm-hmm. Six, and this was this was like way before the record was you know getting ready to come out. But we had the mix, and I sat down with him in my car. Him. With me, him, and Matt Hefner from fucking Blasphery and an Oath of Cruelty. Yeah. And we started playing the CD. And, you know, Diego's sitting there, you know, having drawn the logo. And he's just, he's freaking the fuck out. Like, just could, you know, it, like the brother, like, you know, there's a brotherhood in our band. But there's also a brotherhood in everyone who's participated in bringing this all forward. That's yeah. a great way to put it, man. I mean, like with Diego, he's understood from gate what we're about, and he, he he's there for that. 
That's why he was on the first show. Yes. There you go. Well, uh, we, we talked about the band camp. Where can people uh, contact you? Do you have guys have social media, website, all that good stuff? Oh, yeah. The, the Facebook, the Instagram. Not the sure band camp is most yeah. important. Yeah. Well, right. Come on down to fucking Hasrod band camp and pick up that pre-order. That's, yes. that's most important. Yeah, ag- mm-hmm. agreed. Really, the officials are, because if you go to Metal Archives, we've discussed this in the band. <laughs> There's a couple of links that we're not quite sure on the authenticity, you know, authenticity of. But the Facebook, the Instagram, the Bandcamp, all three of those are legit. So, and then of course you can reach out to any one of us personally. So, very cool. All right. Well, uh, everybody, check out the album. Come, it's out now. Uh, it's on streaming platforms. Uh, buy it on Spotify. Buy the CD and buy the 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 download. So the vinyl can be made and so I can put it in my collection as well. Um, <laughs> I appreciate you guys being uh, on here tonight, being friends with me and keeping me in sort of uh, involved in the process of this band forming and coming together. Cause all you guys man. have been really cool, man. Thank you, fam, bro. Terry, we appreciate yeah. you, man. You, you, you've been a beacon of light in the band's development. And appreciate the shit out of that. Sean, Say you're, something to us, Sean. You're too goddamn quiet. <laughs> hey, man, this is your show. This is this is the hats around episode. God damn it, Sean. This is your show. You, you know, what I was just thinking though that the, the your cover artist did the reissues for the, the two Gates of Ishtar albums that I fucking really love that art. Yeah, and that's some of my favorite art that's been done in the past five yeah, years. And, His resume is so ridiculous that I yeah. don't even know everybody he's done. So when you say that, it's it's actually pretty cool. Yeah. That's facts. I'm going to say this now. I, I think this might have been discussed in previous episodes of MSR cast. If not, we're going to deal with it now. But <laughs> it's just it's just facts. When Opeth played Fitz, and this might have been shit. <laughs> John, come to me with this. This might have oh, been like three. oh three at literally, literally like old school. He and I were standing across from each other. We didn't even know each other at that point. And by he and I, he means me, Ben. No, I mean me and Sean. You were there too. Oh, I didn't. Okay. It was. This it was all. I mean, he and all too. of us. Honestly, we were all standing there, not knowing. Those are three. Maybe you guys knew how to get into the venue. I didn't know shit. <laughs> and I was like, "Here I am." Being present at Fitz, trying to get in to see my favorite band, and here's you guys at the footsteps. I don't know, but you guys are both really cool from what I remember. We met Mikkel that day, I remember. What? (laughs) What's up? We met Mikkel Ackerfeld that day, and Matt Roy bummed a cigarette off of him. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) That was a uh, those, that- those things also happened. Yes, <laughs> that's, that's was that the tour with uh, Lacuna Coil? Yes, that's right. Yes. That's right. I uh, I and, may or may uh, not. And have the in, biggest in crush 20, on her. In twenty twenty two, it's like probably not very you know good. But 
I might have screamed out into the crowd that night, marry me, Christina. And she might have, she said something about it. (laughs) Uh, Sean, let's talk about where people can find us on the interweb. So, of course, you can check us out at msrcast.com, metalgeeks.net. We're on all the social medias at msrcast, as well as our sister show at Metal Geeks. We are uh, on all the places where you can download your podcast. We're on the Stitchers and the Spotify and all those good places. Um, yeah, I think that you, if you're on Facebook, come check us out. Uh, and we're, we have our really cool group, the Metal Geek Society. Uh, where can people find out more about the Metal Pigeon? And what are you working on right now? Uh, yeah, MetalPigeon.com, MetalPigeon socials. Um, just put up something today. Uh, we'll have something else going up pretty soon. Um, yeah, they know. They know. They know where to find me. The metalpigeon.com. He's too humble. He is. He's, he's, Sean, the metal pigeon here is one of the best, uh, writers that I know. All right. They're turning off the podcast now. Come on. No. We're going to hold on. This is like a love fest now. Come on. While the love fest is going on, because we're going to talk about this for a second, Sean was one of the only people that delved into the depths of the Horna show. Yes. Yes. And really analyzed and broke it down and defended those who needed to be defended when nobody else would. It's not about even defending people. It's just that Sean laid it out in a way where he said, Hey, if you're a sane thinking person, you'll just view the facts Correct. Side for yourself, motherfucker. Correct. Yep. So defend may have been the the wrong choice of words, but he was there when others were not, and I remember that, and I remember it very clearly. So thank I you. Too. There you go. All right. Well, uh, on that note, I want to thank uh, Benjamin and Maurice and Mr. Cryptos here, Papa Josh as the old school version of you is known as <laughs> for hanging out with us and talking about Hasrod, uh before we go, but we have one more song we're going to play. Ooh. And that's another track from the upcoming throne of malice release uh, through pain to conquest. Yes. I, had to hold my, I had to hold my hands up when I said it, you know, like, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> pain to so this thanks has a everybody. Riff. This Go one ahead. has a riff that will never leave your head. That's all I'm yeah. going to say on this subject. Yep. All right, guys. So, uh, as always, we have one last thing we have to say on this show. Who's going to be the lucky guy to say it? Keep it metal. Keep it metal. <laughs> ben? Keep it metal. <laughs> Not the same enthusiasm that Maurice had, but I love it. They're coming up the top ten charts, people. Keep it metal. <laughs> the top. Keep it metal. <laughs> One more thing, I, I Ben, if you could do for me, I know. Uh, can you introduce the last track in your best NPR voice? <laughs> All right, now we've got one more track from Hasserot's throne of malice ep available on redefining darkness records may 27th this track is the (laughs) final track from the ep it's a number called 
through pain oh. to conquest. <laughs> a number. <laughs> All right, guys. Check it out. Keep it metal. See you next time. Ooh.
Geekazoids. Thanks for listening to another fine podcast brought to you by MSR Productions. All rights reserved, blah, 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 blah. For reviews, archives of our podcasts, and all your other metal geekery needs, please visit metalgeeks.net. Keep it geeky. Keep it metal.